Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Tuesday Night Jaw roundtable slash list edition uh, on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Jim Smallman, and my guests, who I will introduce in a minute. Um, Before I get to that, a couple of plugs. First of all, obviously check out everything on the Distraction Pieces Network because it's all gravy. It's not gravy, it's podcasts, um, but do check them out because they're all great. And also, Saturday, September the 9th, at noon, uh, there is a live Tuesday Night Jaw roundtable slash list slash challenge craziness edition uh, the london podcast festival at king's place in london so saturday september the 9th at noon if you want to come along to that you can get tickets through the link at jimsmorman.com slash tnj jimsmorman.com slash tnj saturday september the 9th london podcast festival the day before the sold out progress show at alexandra palace so you know make a weekend of it maybe taking a show in the evening maybe go to the west end um and take in kinky boots I don't know what you go and watch. I need Glenn here to get musical theatre advice. Um, but go and do make a weekend of it. Or if you live in London, just make a normal weekend of it where you get on a tube, listen to a podcast, go home, and then come back again and watch wrestling the next day. So uh, Saturday, September the 9th, jimsmorman.com slash TNJ. And as usual, if you want to tweet me your thoughts on this podcast that we're going to do in a second, I'll explain what the top 10 list is in a moment and the proper rules for it. Um, if you want to be involved and uh, tell us your list, then tweet me at Jim Smallman. Uh, maybe write your list out on your phone, in your notes, do a screenshot of it and then tweet it to me. At Jim Smallman, use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw. Right, guests who can also plug some things. Guest number one, it's his front room, kind of. It's not, it's not my front room. It's not your front room. I'm a 41-year-old man who does not and never will own his own house, which I feel is getting in before it's cool, because that's going to be the case of every adult in the UK. Yeah. Cheers, Teresa, if yeah. that is your real name, and I suspect it probably is. Yeah, your mortgage uh, went through okay, didn't it? My mortgage did go through okay, yes. Go um. <laughs> yeah, this is Stevie Pugh's front room, um, and it's not as tidy as it was last time, because Scroobius Pip isn't here. No. Um, but, yeah... He's still got, he's still got, still got Scroobius Pip's outline of where he sat on the sofa before. Like it's been preserved with starch. It's, it's like someone, someone's been going over it again and again. I, I, I love the fact that we've done this podcast so often that we're presuming that no one's a new listener and everyone knows Chris Brooker's voice. But that's Chris Brooker, everybody. Um, he's my chum. Um, he's he's a dude. We go back years, man. We do go back years. 
How long have we known each other? Ten years now, I reckon, at least. Must be. Must be. We, I had loads of hair. You had some hair. Thing is, I've, you know when people... I get people tweeting me when they realise I'm I'm a skinhead. People are like, oh, remember when Jim had hair? No, I've still got the same amount of hair, roughly, that I had about ten years ago. My hair's been falling out for years. I just mm-hmm. shaved my head now oh, yeah, that's to preserve I mean. the image in a kind of Mitchell Brothers kind of way. You've, um, you've basically gone... You've you've taken the bull by the horns. It now looks like choice, yeah. Rather than the choices being forced upon you, yeah. Because I think if you'd rocked a comb over, there's oh. always scope. Just comb it back, or there's we, got. I bet there's at least one hipster in London now who's going. Do you know what? Now's the time for the comb over, guys. Do you know what? The ironic comb over where they shave a bald bit. Mm. I mean, that's a fresh hell. If someone wants to do that and come to a progress show, do. I can't, um, I can't take the piss. Mine's going on top. Did you spot the yours was going on top from a security camera? Yes, it was, I was in yeah, a bank. Yeah, security camera. In a bank. You, it's yeah. like, like huh, who's that ball for? Oh, God. Yeah, I was in a bank. Oh, oh, oh no. The, the, I, I spotted it in a bank once, and I just thought it was bad lighting. And then, <laughs> when I used to actually pay someone to cut my hair, you know when they do that thing where they show you the back of your head? I noticed every time I'd go and have my hair cut, they were taking less time at the back of their head showing me the... As if to go... If I show him this, he's going to think I fucking did it. Yeah. So that was the point. What? So, so yeah. Anyone who feels like tweeting me, telling me, oh, you still have it? Yeah, I know. Um, I know. The reason people always use old publicity photos of me for gigs because that's normally where it comes from. I'll tweet a picture. Mm-hmm. I'll tweet a, a gig poster, and people will be like, "Oh, you used to have hair." Yeah, I also used to have a lot less tattoos. Um, I used to also be fatter. Um, the reason that you comedy... didn't look so tired either. I, I didn't. <laughs> the reason all comedy clubs use those is because you may have noticed all my publicity photos now include me covering my face with my hands because I don't like being photographed so the only time I like being photographed is in a wrestling <laughs> ring so if you look at my cover photo on Twitter is the back of me in front of a crowd at Brixton Academy and my avatar is both the hands over my face um, and the only way I'm going to get around this I'm going to do a new hour long show at the Leicester Comedy Festival next year that I'm going to call Not The Face because then I've got a reason to use a picture of me without my face in it so I, I hate being photographed. Somebody books comedy gigs. I hate you. Yeah, no, thanks, man. Um, oh, quick plug. plug. Plug some stuff. Plug, plug quick. Um, Future Shock Wrestling on August 25th. It's our 13th anniversary show. It is going to be spectacular. We are looking to sell it out. We've sold out ringside. Nearly sold out second row. General admission are going the same way. Um, main event is Zach Gibson. Liverpool's number one. Defending Boo. the Future Shock Championship. It's the man who's made Manchester his home, Ashton Smith. Yeah. So we'll see if he can do that. We've got Sonna Derson versus James Drake, April Davis versus Lionel Austin, and the first ever Adrenaline Rush Rumble match, which is nothing like anything that's ever happened before, especially in TNA. Is it a reverse battle royal? Yeah, it's already started. <laughs> what we've done is we've actually we're making everyone travel in, and they're having to film themselves on mega buses. Good lord. Good lord above. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so at FutureShot Wrestling, uh, FutureShotWrestling.co.uk, uh, at FutureShot Rest. Yeah, that's it, really. That's it. That's Nothing it. else to plug? No. Sweet. I don't do anything. Good. <laughs> that's the future. The other guest is... How can I best build him up? I mean, I could give him some wheat, but that would kill him. Um, There's a difference between building and bloating. There is. As a man who's not had a solid poo in quite some time, Matt Richards. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh, not true. He sent me one in a Tupperware box the other day. Yeah. Hello, Matthew. Hey, how's it going? All, All right. right. Thanks for um, alerting the world to the fact. I mean, people don't know what. I mean, they'll know now from probably from the description of the podcast. But 
no one knew what we were going to be talking about today, or indeed that there would be an edition of the three of us chatting together, because we've not done one for a bit, because I've been doing all these ones where I meet people. Yeah. Um, but by telling the world that I'd ruined your evening by making you come up with a list. No, I didn't. I didn't specify how and why. Oh no, I, I know, but I know, but the fact that you tagged me in on it that I yeah, ruined yeah. your evening. So I mean, it meant one of two things. It meant that I had either given you a list to formulate, or I had held you down and forced a baguette into your mouth. <laughs> or, or or made me cry again, which is the other one I got. Um, you made yourself oh. cry, mate. But to be fair, we're just at that point now where you can just ruin my evening just by being there. Thanks, mate. You know, that's the level of, of, of friendship that we're at now, mate. It's, yeah, it is. It's just one, one text message. Oh, fucking hell. You know? That prick again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no, I've... I've, I've I, People again, like people, genuinely think that this is like some sort of like character. I fucking hate lists. I really hate them. This is my least favorite thing no, in the world it's, ever. It's because he hates decisions. That, but no, because I just I get so wound up by it, and I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. Logical side of my brain's going. It's just a laugh in it. And then irrational side of my brain's going. You must make the perfect list <laughs> that has ever existed and not be questioned. Now, this is an important thing, because it is a list episode. Do we have a bell? A bell. A bell. A bell. Yeah. No, it's just because it's a list thing. And obviously, I think me and you, Chris, I think our suggestions will probably be fairly reasonable. But every time he makes a fucking dickhead hipster (sighs) suggestion for his list, can we just ring the bell? I don't know. Have we got any form of noise maker that we could use for this? We've got like an air horn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Man, man, man. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, mine's out of the cleaners. What? Yeah. Oh. No, no, we'll call, we we'll call it something. Uh, I mean, we'll just maybe we'll just have an agreed noise. I think again. I think this this perception of me might might mislead people because my list is fairly sensible. Mm-hmm. There's a couple. Again, you know, I dabble. I, I, I le- dabble. At least one wrestler you made yourself with play doh. Yeah, made on Tumblr and <laughs> just made gifts of it. And it's a real thing now. But yeah, no, I'm whatever. It's it's not like I've looked at this list for the last. 12 hours and changed it a million times how long, so. how long so you've been looking at it for 12 hours no no like I slept okay last night so like I got I got <laughs> no, a no, decent no. nice sleep are you but, sure you slept but okay? the first thing I did when I was like I was doing my, my emails and stuff this morning and I'm going to copy I was like no, I need to look at that list again and I changed at least three people on it so do you know how long I took on mine like 10 minutes because you messaged me to say yeah 8 actually. 10 minutes yeah 10 minutes maximum because you're old and you remember shit and <laughs> I don't because I, I was busy writing a preface for a book guys that's yeah, what I was doing because yeah. um, the internet made that happen last week yeah I know soz guys I know um, it's not like you've got enough to be getting on nah I'm not busy enough um, uh, right so today's list is this it's the top 10 wrestlers who have never worked for WWE now there are some caveats here Caveat number one, Christopher asked this question last night. You can have worked for WWWF when it was a territory, but ideally not have held one of their major titles because that kind of makes you a part of their canon and their folklore. If you came in for a few matches and then moved on to another territory, that's kind of fine. That's kind of pre, let's say pre-1984 probably. Um, You can have been in developmental before it was NXT if you never got called up. So you cannot have been in NXT. So, for example, one of the first names I put on my list was Sammy Callahan, but he did appear on NXT, Mm -hmm. so he is excluded from this. Okay, So you cannot do that. If you had one or two dark matches in WWE, 
That is fine. You were not signed to a contract. You were an extra. That is completely and utterly fine. Were there any other rules I put in place? Uh, I could only have five Japanese you could only have, wrestlers. <laughs> you could only have five Japanese wrestlers. So this wrestlers. is basically the Dragon Gate Right. No, no, no. I feel, I feel with... I think I've got... Hang on, let me double check. I think I've got three, possibly four. Um, let's have a look. Okay. Okay, so I have four, but what I've done with the four... I've gone with three that are a generational transition, so 80s, 90s, and noughties, mm-hmm. and then another one who eclipses everything. So I've got reasons behind them. Okay, I'll be honest. Also, do you know what's really, really bloody annoying about this list? Number one on my list was going to be Sting, because I was like, Sting, <laughs> in it? And then I remembered he had a WWE title match, didn't he? Oh, and he wrestled at WrestleMania, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And yeah. you know. other, other people, I don't know if you've come across this, so other people that I lost out on was Terry Gordy, which I thought, oh, I'd be sick. Executioner, mate. Exactly. Oh, man, I forgot about the Executioner. Yeah. Jack, yeah. Jack Briscoe, because I was like, well, Jerry Briscoe's obviously worked there, but Jack Briscoe wrestled there apparently loads in the 80s when they bought the territory. Um, and then I had a couple of others that I was like, oh, they're good, but... I stopped myself because they were either too hipster or slightly too obscure. So this is the other thing I've tried to do with my list is there needs to be a reason. So if if my top 10 list was just, here's a load of, the, and in some cases they are just people who are great wrestlers, mm-hmm. but it can't just be that. WWE is a different, no pun intended, universe to most places that you will work. So you can be the single greatest worker on the planet in terms of, appealing to guys like us or Meltz or whoever, it doesn't necessarily mean you would be a star in WWE. Of course. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, like I, I had to exclude people for that reason. It'd be like, what about... Oh, no. Mm-hmm. There's, I, there's a reason why they didn't yeah, go there. Yeah, and I, I think that... In most cases, I've tried to justify why they'd be in WWE. As and I, and I, think yeah, that's, I think that's what you've got to do. We've all found the game within a game, yeah. independently yeah. one another. And what we'll do is, we'll that's do... That's why we're friends. We'll all do our number 10s first. Don't... If if we happen to mention someone who's later on on your list, mm-hmm. don't spoil it for later. No, 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 You'll no, just no, be able to gloss no. over a bit more later on. Right. I mean, mine, mine, I'll admit, is in no particular order. And then you need to make it in a particular yeah. order. Okay, I'm going to go and from I the would... top to the bottom of this list. Boom, good times. At this moment in time, I'd like to point out that at no point am I going to cry. So if you tuned in for this reason <laughs> to hear me cry about something emotional... You don't know who I've got on my list. Oh, God. Right, man. I'm going first. It's my podcast. I'm going first. Number 10 on my list of wrestlers who have never appeared in WWE. Um, and also, if you want to be a smart ass and tell us that people did appear in WWE, then fine. But I'm fairly sure, laid out by our rules... It's fine, okay? The odd appearance, odd, uncontracted appearance is, is acceptable. Number 10, Dr. Wagner Jr. Oh, so hipster. It's not hipster. And there's a reason for this. One, biggest, one of the biggest stars over the last two decades in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, is a big dude for a masked wrestler. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, 5'10", 220 pounds, big dude. Uh, great moveset. So... Often my problem with Lucha is it's a little bit wouldn't break eggshells. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, a little yeah, bit sure. slow motion. It's one of the reasons I like Flamita so much. Is Flamita, everything Flamita does looks like it kills you. Everything uh, Pentagon does yeah. looks like it kills you. That's kind of what I want out of my wrestling. I want stuff to look like it hurts. So in, 
in those cases, that's one of the reasons we, Dr. White is all power bombs and suplexes and, and great stuff like that. Still wrestling now, he's 50 odd. <laughs> but peak time would have been sort of late 80s, mid 90s, I think. Could have, could have really done the job. The other thing is as well, and this is a, I mean, he's still, he's done stuff recently with Lucha Underground, which shows you what a star he is. You know, there was, there was certainly a point where, where, Vince was trying to appeal to a Hispanic community. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. I think Dr. Wagner could have been a big star from that point of view. Pre Rey Mysterio, you know they had that point in the mid nineties when they were using was it Super Astros? Or something yeah, and, but they were using AAA talent, which Dr. Wagner was yeah. one of them, but he wasn't one of the people they were using. Well, they um, it was after basically a lot of the guys at WCW used went off and formed Pro Aztaca. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they had their own promotion. So essentially, they had whoever was left, yeah. which was a mixture of. The very young and the ones who, quite frankly, have seen better days. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's also, it's a great thing I love about uh, Luchador's pages on websites. And he's had a great career in Japan as well. He's done very well. He's always solid in Japan. So he's been able to turn his hand to Japanese style really well, which is, again, is one of the reasons I like Flamita. Is Flamita went to Dragon Gate and all of his stuff looked legit and it didn't look slow motion, slow motion choreograph, which which sometimes is what Lucha Libre looks like. Um also, the amount of uh, mask wager matches he's won over the past 20-odd years. His first one was in 1988. He's never lost one. He's still got his mask. Yeah. And he's in his 50s. Tells you how big a star he is. Because yeah. nearly everybody's dropped their mask by the time they and get they, to 50. Um, do you get to keep the masks of the people you beat? I don't know. I mean, like, Chris Jericho did that, didn't he? Like the skulls of their enemies. Like in 300. That's what the Persians did, isn't it? Nice. This, uh, no? Okay, cool. I don't remember. I wasn't really. Yeah, no, the, 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 like, the, the messenger that turns up in the 300 film, which it's got the skulls of the former. Oh, like the kings. Oh, it's, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, the, the skulls of the kings of all the empires they conquered. I'm surprised you've watched it. I mean, did you see it in an art house two years after it came out? No, I actually watched it because, <laughs> believe it or not, actually, Jim, I, uh, I'm, I'm quite the uh, amateur historian. I quite like. Some of my history. What's your favourite war? Um, I mean, if you're going to put me on the spot, he's not um, going to pick World War Two, which is the best one. No. Oh no! Like the the <laughs> the most horrific and like the one that should like proper knock home that we should not do war. It's a bad thing. Is World War Two? World War One's oh, fucking hideously depressing. Um, there's a guy called Dan Carlin. Um, I've never found a war that's a barrel of laughs. No, but <laughs> right. Hey, no, hey, no, hey, no, no. The Crimea because... was. Fucking hilarious. Because, like, because I listened to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and he did a whole thing of like the blueprint to um, Armageddon, which is about the World War One from from before it and after it. Right. And it and it really hammered home like a thing of there wasn't necessarily a bad guy, and there wasn't necessarily that anyone actually wanted to go to, to war. Whereas, like World War Two, there is a full on baddie and there's a full on goodie. Like, there's like it's quite clear cut, you know. And then you have got like Alexander the Great who just had a bit of an ego problem and like so I like World War 2 because of Wolfenstein see I'm I'm an artist uh, like most artists I feel that the best war is the one that hasn't happened yet uh, you're listening to Radio 4 <laughs> <laughs> tweet us let us know what your favourite <laughs> war what's your favourite war hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw hashtag my favourite war <laughs> and by the way while you're at it tell us what is it good for <laughs> absolutely nothing <laughs> say it again <laughs> war <laughs> Stop. That's a joke from Rush Hour, by the way, everybody. Uh, if you listen to this, Chris Tucker. Hi. Um, Christopher, you're number 10. Okay. Um, based on my respect from the fact that he was the first person I thought of, uh, my number 10 
It's Robbie Brookside. Ah, clever. Ah, that was the right noise. I'm hoping that's, that's also the hipster know. alarm for him later on. <laughs> it's also the scouse mating call, it I is. believe, as it well. Is. It is. Yeah, Robbie Brookside, um, who currently he he found his way to WWE once his in-ring career was pretty much over, um, and I mean, disclaimer: love Rob. To pieces of a human being. He's a, he's a mate. He's he's a joy to be around, and the fact that first of all he's fantastic in the ring, mm-hmm. and the way he is in, he's so unselfish. The way he's changing the wrestling business a bit at a time for years to come. We will see the influence of Robbie Brookside in the guys that have been through NXT on WWE, and people will watch it from afar. And I I'm, I genuinely think he will make wrestling better far beyond his immediate reach. Mm. Um, but the stories, um, like the stories when he was on the podcast uh, a little while ago, of his his early days in pro wrestling, the fact that he hasn't turned out to be a sociopathic serial killer yeah. or a horrible human being mm. is a testament to, to his character because he was really put through a meat grinder when he started. Yeah. And, you know, there but for the love of God. I mean, there's, there's in terms of sheer in-ring ability and talent and drive and determination... There was only like a hair's breadth between him and, and William Regal. So it could have been, you know, I'm, I'm sure Mr. Regal will say the same. On any given day, it could have been, they could have had their situations reversed. Sure. Um, I feel that, that Robbie obviously went off to New Japan. He's wrestled around the world. He had a little taste of it in WCW. But again, you know, if we could do a top 10 list, top 20, 30, 40, 50 list of people who didn't quite get what they deserved in WCW. Mm. So he's he's not even top 10 on that list but imagining what he could have done particularly in the 80s uh, late 80s because he's a little bit older I think than Mr. Regal a couple of years I think a little bit not loads if he'd have come in to WWE I think he could have been I don't necessarily think he'd be the first to say he'd have been a big star as in I don't think he'd ever been a WWE champion but imagine him and Regal as a team imagine him Working, bringing up some of the guys, I think I think he would have been fantastic, mm. and it it absolutely warms my heart that he's getting a chance to take everything he's learned, um, because there's a guy who didn't stop believing for the longest time, mm. who who's been if you've read the book The Wrestler, or The Wrestling I think by Simon Garfield, yes, where, where there's a chapter about him and you know living at his folks and and making do and there's nobody who deserves the success they have more than Robbie Brookside. Yeah. And fair play, more power to him. I hope he's enjoying a pint outside of a bar in Florida right now where the sun's coming down. And I hope he has many, many years doing what he loves. Mm. Um, Solid just, choice. I'm intrigued to see what would have happened had he been found a little sooner. Yes, good choice. Matthew, your number 10. Uh, my number 10 is Christopher Daniels. Good choice. So I nearly on my list. Not. Yeah, I, I did. I did. I did my research because obviously he's done plenty of metal slash jacked slash Sunday Night Heat match mm-hmm. enhancement match. Um, oh, and don't forget the uh, the fact that he was one of Los Conquistadors. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's never been a contract, no. and he's never been Christopher Daniels in 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 WWE. So the reason why I picked Daniels was because he is. Of the generation of the original Ring of Honor guys, and he was the one that never went. So you had London, Spanky, um, even Loki, um, mm. obviously uh, Daniel Bryan as well. 
uh, and he was he is sort of Mr. Independent Wrestling mm. for a long time. Like he did UPW, he seemed to be involved in everything. And then obviously as well, his his place in TNA was one of the brighter spots on a relatively dark promotion or period of time, especially with his stuff with AJ and, and Samoa Joe. And it's it's weird because he nearly lost out to Jay Lethal <laughs> because I have so much respect for Jay Lethal. Um, He's a wonderful professional wrestler, but I just think Christopher Daniels has more of an impact on independent wrestling overall. He's, in terms a, he's of... a lot of people's favourite independent wrestler from a certain era. Yeah. I know talking to when, when Flash Morgan Webster was on the podcast, he was talking about the impact that Christopher Daniels made on him. And, yeah. and you, whenever you hear any wrestler being interviewed, it's always... Which is why it's so cool that he won the Ring of Honor title this year. Yeah. And you look at it and go, oh, he's never won that. Yeah, he's never won it. And he was there at the beginning, and it was he was part of the first, yeah, that first main mm-hmm. event, wasn't he? Yeah. And then the round robin challenge. But and... I think that's why I think that's why people are so fond of him because he is independent wrestling. Like he mm. is, he is someone that that hopefully will get his moment in the sun if he chooses to retire and, and wants to do anything else because he genuinely deserves it because he's he's been through it all. And I'm not suggesting that anyone sort of like took the WWE contract and ran or anything like that. It's not it's not that at all. But like he's been through that whole like boom period as well as the dips and everything in between. So yeah, that's the reason why he kind of makes the list because I think he makes quite a big impact on yeah. on that scene. The big thing for me with, with Christopher Daniels, two things. One, um all three of us have had the, the luxury of meeting some amazing people. Mm-hmm. Lucky enough and I've managed to be cool around most of them. I lost my shit when I met Christopher Daniels because I am a huge fan of his. Um, And it goes right the way back. Do you ever um, UWA Wrestling Rampage on live TV many, 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 many years? I do not remember this. Right, it was was another attempt to launch British wrestling on live TV. They have the topless darts and the news bunny. right? And they had a big... um, recording a TV recording at Crystal Palace and it was Phil Powers mm. and uh, Kerry Cabrero and other other guys at that point as well but the guy that absolutely blew me away was this guy Christopher Daniels that I'd never seen before but he just looked like a megastar carried himself like one and he just there's nothing he can't do mm. every every time he's put somewhere he makes the most of it yeah on to number nine my number nine Mighty little, number nine. Yeah, it follows on a little bit from what you just your your one is. It's not. It's not Robbie. Uh, who does not make my top ten, but I love Robbie to pieces. Um, <laughs> I could easily have come up with a top thirty for this. Yeah. When I start, I, I wrote things down and then had to pick out a top ten. My number nine is Steve Carino, uh, who now is of course employed by WWE <laughs> as a coach at NXT. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can watch loads of Steve Carino's career in ECW on the WWE Network. Um, but I loved Carino when he was at ECW. Um, I am desperate to get him on Tuesday Night Jaw at some point and I've been met him a few times over in the States and over here I think there's a chance I can make that happen and I, I hope so because he's great he's a great he's a great dude uh, one of the nicest people I've met over the last year for the first time he's, he's just sound um, but one of my favourite feuds ever is him versus Dusty Rhodes in ECW <laughs> which I properly love yeah. It's uh, and it's Carino was a great wrestler. He was a great technician and great brawler. He could do both of those things. But he was a fantastic, spe- a fantastic talker back in the ECW days. Did great stuff for Zero One in Japan, didn't he? As yeah, well, yeah. Um, did great stuff over here yeah. um, uh, for for uh, you know for a while as well. And he's he's always wherever he's gone, he's always made the most of it. I think if you the early noughties, 
to capitalise on how well he'd done in ECW, if he'd have gone into sort of late attitude era WWE with how good he could talk, I think he could have done tremendously well. Didn't he? I mean, he, he presumably he had several tryouts as commentator as well and other things so. pieces. I yeah. think so. But it was weird because I, I wrote him down and with all of these, I went on Wikipedia and just checked to see. Because even <laughs> if you only have the slightest WWE yeah. career, it does come up. And I was like, I'm astonished. You know, and and it was weird. I had a conversation with him not so long ago. I was like, I can't believe you never really wrestled it. And I think he'd done like everybody had been an extra and done dark matches and whatever. But such such a such a good dude. And it's great again now that he's passing on his knowledge to trainees as they become more and more rounded. So you've got you've got people like Robbie, you've got people like him, you've got people like Norman Smiley all pointing him in the right direction. Uh, Norman Smiley again is someone else who could easily be on this list. Um, um, Carino really nearly made my list because he was again. I've mentioned it a million times on the podcast, but I came into wrestling really late, like mm. in terms of a teenager. So when I started watching ECW, he was champion. And I was like, I loved him. Like, because again, like it was the Dusty thing for me because I missed out on Dusty. So him having the feud with Dusty and basically ripping off Dusty. And then obviously he did things with um, like Major League Wrestling when he mm. did the, the whole, Four Horsemen, Extreme the Extreme Horsemen, yeah. whatever it was. And like little bits of that. I, I, I always had a massive soft spot for Carino. And obviously like the Zero One thing as well. Like and how much he, he like loved Hashimoto and being yeah. in that promotion was super cool, man. But yeah. yeah, he just missed out on my list as well. There's a great Hashimoto fact. I don't know if we've ever brought this up before. Who's the first person to ever kick out of Hashimoto's DDT? Is it Regal? It was Regal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he told me that. And I was, he told me that one day we were driving, driving somewhere and I was like, oh, what a cool fact. What a tremendously cool fact. Like, yes, just looking through Wikipedia yesterday, I realised that yesterday was the date ticked over that Pete Dunne became Progress's second longest reigning champion. Because previously it was joint second on 245 days, El Ligero and Nathan Cruz. And yesterday, Pete was 246. Um, congratulations, Pete. Congratulations, Pete. Enjoy wrestling, Jack Gallagher. Uh, Gallagher. In, uh, Gallagher now. Sorry, Gallagher, Gallagher now. Um, uh, enjoy wrestling, our mate Jack in New York. Um, the Hentleman, Jack Gallagher. The Hentleman, Jack Gallagher. Oh. I was, I was relaying one of my favorite. So every now and again, me, John, and Glenn will get together and we'll just laugh at one joke for ages and it will end up being a show title inevitably. So we, did, we called a show, you know, we don't like to use the sit down gun, which is based yeah. on one little 30 second clip yeah. from a TV series that's on Netflix called Danger Five, yeah. where, where um, <laughs> there's, there's a character in it called Colonel Chessbridge who has got the head of an eagle. <laughs> and the first time I saw it, I couldn't stop laughing. And there's a clip of him. Um, talking to a woman called Claire on it where he tells her to shut up she refuses to shut up so he shoots a gun into the ceiling and says shut your mouth <laughs> you know I don't like to use the sit down gun and and it, and we laughed at that for ages the one that's doing it at the minute I can't find a clip of it so if you can find a clip of this anywhere on the internet please tweet me at Jim Smallman so from the smell of Reeves and Mortimer there's an episode of the smell of Reeves and Mortimer where Vic and Bob are talking to each other and I think I think Bob. I think it's Bob that says it. He just goes, "Of course, I've got that disease." And because what disease? Because uh, that disease where you can't say Shaftesbury Avenue. And he says, "Really? Yeah, I can't. I, I can't say Shaftesbury Avenue. It's terrible." Well, well, give it a go. Hang on, Shaftesbury Avenue, and, <laughs> and it's been in my head for the last couple of weeks. And I was telling John and Glenn it backstage at our show in Manchester, and on a stressful show day because we had a few things go wrong that day. It 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 properly popped both of us, all three of us. So if you can find a clip of that. At Jim Smallman, 
Uh, I really need to see the clip of uh, either Vic or Bob not being able to say Shaftesbury Avenue. Thank you. If anyone can tweet either Vic Reeves or Bob Mortimer, see <laughs> if they've got it in their personal collection. If they're wrestling fans, they can have uh, guest tickets. Not for Ali Pali because we sold all them sauce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, if you're a friend of mine who thinks you're getting a guest ticket for Ali Pali sauce, um, <laughs> we'd rather Fuck's sell it. You've only. T- this is how you tell <laughs> me. You'll be all right. Um, what gets me is we 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 occasionally get press requests. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that's not how you're getting into our biggest show of the year. Buy a ticket, um, Christopher. Your my, number nine. My mighty number nine. It is New Jack. Fucking hell! Fucking hell! <laughs> Shut it down. It's 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 done. Good night, everybody. <laughs> It's been real. Your mate, my mate, New Jack. Your chum, New Jack. I've told that. I've told, told that. I've so told that times. story before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't funny the first time. Hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was. It was quite funny. For the rest of this episode, the character of Matthew Richards will be played by Stevie Pugh. <laughs> Isn't that right, Matt? Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Can't be played by Stevie. She's emotionally stable. Suddenly, Matthew's likable. <laughs> Touche. Fucking well played, mate. Well played. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. That wasn't quite it. how I expected to go. Yeah, New Jack. New Jack. Um, I wish I'd had a mouthful of drink so I could have spat it out when you said Not it. with Pepsi Max and no. not on Stevie's couch. <laughs> mm. um, but no, the reason I say New Jack, and I'm fully aware before Twitter melts, the multitude of reasons why New Jack probably wouldn't have been signed, didn't get signed, and wouldn't have lasted. However. But. but however. Was a star. You can't argue. Mega he was a star. massive star, and, and he was one of the reasons I used to buy ECW videos. Exactly, exactly. because I loved him. To say there wasn't a place for him in the Attitude Era is nonsense. Yes. he would have been fantastic if he had, if they'd managed to reel him in a little, tone him down a little bit, and the question is if he was without a doubt one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen in wrestling. I, I, I you know, for me, when the bell rang, it kind of went off a cliff. Yeah, but his promos were magnificent. You believed in him, and do you know one of my favourite New Jack things ever? You know, Beyond the Mat when he's really quietly talking about how he wants to be an actor. Yeah, oh, I yeah. love that. Oh, love yeah. that. Do, well, he's doing the the screen test, and yeah. they're going, "Well, I don't see him being Denzel, but he could certainly be Denzel's friend because <laughs> <laughs> they do hang out together, don't they?" Racist Hollywood. Fuck oh, off. Easy. Sorry. Easy. I get, I get Come just, on. It's just because there's no roles for ginger men these days. Yeah. Game of Thrones. Fucking Damien Lewis. <laughs> Damn it, Damien, I'm coming for you. Coming for you, Ginger. Now, um, so New Jack is, is he's someone who would have been great in, in WWE, especially, because you got, imagine him as the hardcore champion. They could have, you know, had, you know, natural born killers, you know, or whatever the cover version <laughs> is, playing your way, you know, Dr. D and Square, you know, they could have played their cover version and, and it would have been incredible. He's the weirdest the so I, you eventually get used to watching stuff on the network with non-copyrighted music. <laughs> He's yes. the only one. It's really hard to get used to watching. I was kind of hoping they'd go all the way with it and just go. You know what? We can't get that. But let's. His doinks music. Exactly. Or, or do you know what? It's surprisingly cheap to get the rights to five, six, seven, eight by steps. Yeah. You know, just have him coming out. Gonna make you mine. Gonna get in time. Five, six, seven. Bang. That's really good. Also, talking of the network. If you if you really want to find a really good New Jack thing, find his and was it Mustafa is yeah acting partner. Find their debut in Smoky Mountain <gasps> Wrestling, oh, wrestling oh, because it is the most like shocking. And when I mean shocking promos, I mean I 
I can't remember who told me to watch it. This is when they did the affirmative action angle, wasn't it? Where they only had to get a two count to win. There is a line in it about trees, and that's all I'm saying. That genuinely, I have heard some messed up stuff in my time, and I don't know why I didn't swear when I said that. (laughs) But it like genuinely leave me like slack jaw. Like, oh my god, it's it's unbelievable. The boy can talk, and he and he. Also, just as an aside, I know it was a, a little verbal tick, but I now you didn't quite pronounce Smoky Mountain Wrestling, know, right? Know. Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I really want to see Smoky Mountain Wrestling now. Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Just Jacques Rougeau <laughs> and a massive joint. Oh. <laughs> oh, writes itself. That's like Kevin Steen's school days all over again. Matthew, your number nine. My number nine is probably going to be the more controversial choice on my list. I'm, it is, I'm ready in the It is technically. Alarm. Come on, Jim, give me a hand. Well, I give say technically. It, it is two people, but. <laughs> oh, I've, got, a, I've got the odd one. That, I've got okay. the odd tag team. So, my, my number nine is the Young Box. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So, the reason why I picked the Young Box is because I think it's hard to. They're just, dead good. It, well, it's, <laughs> it's not just that, because I think, I think people will argue till they're blue in the face about if they're good or they're not good or whatever. Mm. But it's hard to argue about their impact on modern professional, well, yes. modern independent wrestling. They have influenced it hugely, yep. whether in terms of the perception about merchandise or the like, the idea of what it means to be an independent wrestler and actually be, you know, a rebel, I guess. Well, look at this as well. Let's say they walked out... At NXT unannounced. Yeah. So I was at NXT taping where they'd not announced Bobby Fish. Yeah. And Bobby Fish, who is a decent yeah. star, he's an excellent wrestler, he's a decent level star, but Bobby Fish walked out at NXT TV taping and people lost, to, to wrestle Alistair Black, and people lost their minds. Yeah. Right? Imagine if the Young Bucks walked out, either there, or uh, I also think, as indie stars go, it could not have opened that kick cat any noisier, could he? No, I mean, he tried. I he tried. did. Right? But if, if, Look at it from this point of view. If someone goes from the Indies, how how recognised are they going to be if they just walk out? Yeah. So AJ was a great example. I know he was in New Japan, but AJ yeah, was yeah. a great example of an indie wrestler who walked straight in to a pay-per-view and everyone lost their minds. Yeah. The Young Bucks are are famous enough to do that. Yeah. And, and no, I don't think many other people on the Indies right now are famous enough to be able to just walk onto television one day yeah. and for the internet and the crowd there to lose their minds. Yeah. And I think I think that's really interesting because again and like Kenny Omega deserves to be in this in this conversation. He's not on my list, but he deserves to be in, the, convers- in the conversation of that they went from obscurity to where they are now. Yep. And and like I said, I think it's 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 not I'm not trying to put them in a position and be like they're in ring work or blah blah blah. It's them as an entity. Like they really, really embraced mm-hmm. and and made the most of being independent wrestlers and I think that's to be applauded especially in modern times where independent wrestling again is going through a really healthy period and it is showing you know other wrestlers out there that WWE doesn't have to be the destination I mean it always probably should be because if you want to be the best at anything you want to be in the biggest company and, and everything etc but it's great that there is an example out there for up and coming wrestlers to go well you can enjoy your time on the mm-hmm. independence and make the most of it yep good choice mate number eight my number eight is uh, Mark Rollable Rocco lovely mm. now People are going to say, well, he competed for the WWF Junior Heavyweight title. Yes, but he yes. did, mainly here and in Japan and in Canada. Um, 
And he did wrestle the odd match for WWF back when it was a territory. But, uh, and he was very good friends with Hulk Hogan. But I think that friendship mainly stemmed from wrestling in New Japan rather and, than... And their magnificent moustaches. Yes. Uh, he did look like Bob Carroll, geez. Um, let's get over that. Um, weirdly, when we were at the Ritz the other day, we had a, a, a different venue manager for the day because the normal guy was on holiday. And this guy was really, like everyone who works at the Ritz in Manchester, really sound guy. And he was talking to me and he went, oh, my uncle, my uncle used to be a wrestler. Now, normally when someone tells me that, that a relative of theirs was a wrestler, it normally means that they dressed up as The Undertaker occasionally and wrestled <laughs> at the odd church fate. Yeah. Uh, and I went, oh, what was his name? And he went, Rollerball Rocco. And I went, fuck off. And he went, <laughs> he went yeah, I went, see, your uncle is one of the best wrestlers of all time. And he went, yeah, I suppose. He said, I'm not really into it. I was like, how could your uncle be I, Rollerball Rocco and not you not be into it? I had the same thing. I, I One of my mates, Donna, who I worked with in, I've known for like years and years and years and years, worked with her in, in the horrible call centre in Derby, um, just one of those, you know, when you make someone you don't see each other very much, but mm. you're always tight and you catch up and it's great. And then, and then one day she just went, "Oh, my uncle, my uncle was a wrestler." Yeah, not my uncle, I mean my great uncle. He was sort of like I didn't know him very well. I, yeah. He passed away when I was young. And then I went, "Really? Who?" And then I realised her surname is Kellett. <laughs> Bloody hell! Yeah, <laughs> mental. Her, yeah, her her great uncle or second cousin, whatever, was Les Kellett. That's unbelievable. Now the thing with Rollerball. Um, alongside people like Marty Jones, popularised mm. the light heavyweight style that we're all... I mean, that is essentially most of wrestling now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I saw William Regal tweeting this a little while ago, a match between Rollerball and Marty Jones from World of Sport, which is, you watch it, and it's from about 1979, and you watch it and think, realistically, that could be from 2004. Like, it's so far removed from everything else at the time. I watched Starcade 83 the other day, and it's mm-hmm. amazing how archaic quite a lot of it yeah. feels. Some of it's brilliant, mm-hmm. but some of it some of it feels so old. Yeah. And, and you look at it, and it could be 1960. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's weird how yeah. certain... And Rollerball was brilliant at that. He could have been in WWF in two guises. He could have been Rollerball Rocco, dickhead heel. Mm-hmm. He could have been Black Tiger. And wrestled under a mask, and had, you know, and and entertain kids around the world. You know, like he could have done that. He and, and he he was he was great at doing all that stuff, and had bags and bags of personality. And imagine him and Davy Boy and Dynamite Kid all being yeah. in WWE in the in the mid eighties. That would have been tremendous. Imagine if it's one of those things where if it had been him instead of Dynamite Kid, hmm. for example, in the British Bulldogs. Imagine how different things would have been because they left because of Dynamite Kid in nineteen eighty eight. So. I think what's, think what's interesting with Rocco, the only reason why he didn't make my list is because I felt a bit weird about, because he did have the WWF mm. matches and stuff, so I, I, I didn't want to put him in for that reason. But I think what was interesting with Rocco is that how f- physical he was mm. in, in, in a world of sport era that was still physical, but in terms of like kicks and punches and yeah. strikes, he was a very physical worker. And like especially his matches, again, like with, with Dynamite, are cracking. But I think I think you are right in, in saying that his stuff with Marty Jones was was so head and shoulders and and, and so far advanced of, of a lot of the stuff that was was going on during yeah. that time period. Yeah. Number eight for you, Christopher. Okay, um, I'm I'm going down the tag team route as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fresh in my mind because someone expressed bafflement that they never had a run, and it's the Midnight Express. Ah mm. uh, yes, the Midnight- not the new Midnight Express. Oh, no, who no, did no. have a run. Well, calling it a run is probably more of a stumble. <laughs> you know, sorry, 
bodacious, bar, bondastic barber, whichever which way around they were. But yeah, um, Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton. That is astonishing. I think yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously Jim Cornette had his run as, as a manager. He had Camp Cornette. He, he worked with Yokozuna and, and so on and so forth. But the fact that... And it, it was listening to... Because one of my, my ways of falling asleep was just like YouTube loop through hmm. shoot interviews. And it was a story of how they had a meeting with Vince McMahon in, I think, 88 or 89 to come yeah. in. And they just couldn't... They were making too much money. Hmm. And they weren't going to meet the the money side of things, so you know there there, there are folk who will go, "It's WWF, I'll do it," and there yeah. are those who go, "Well, no, I've got to pay the bills. I'm going to go where sure. the money is." Um, so Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton, who if you if you say to anyone, the Midnight Express are the greatest tag team of all time, yeah, people won't agree, but they won't say you're stupid. They won't mm. they won't laugh in your face over it because yeah. again, it's it's nice having. When I found pro wrestling, when I or when it found me, whichever way you feel about it, spiritual. Nice. Um, Bobby Eaton was teaming with Arn Anderson in the Midnight Express, mm-hmm. and it didn't. I didn't appreciate that time. Holy shit! If I, I wish, kind of in hindsight, I'd have gone, "What? What? Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton, like the Midnight Express and the Four Horsemen teaming together? OMG, OMG, OMG!" And and it wasn't until I went back and I saw some of the Midnight Express's matches again, years ahead of their time. Um, both in terms of how they were the perfect foil for the rock and rolls, the Fantastics, for all these other teams, and that they were so slick and so believable and so good together. And it, it's just, if they had come in to WWF in 1988 or 89, because I think they, se- they went their separate ways in 1990, I believe it was. Mm. So they could have worked with the Hart Foundation. With demolition, with with uh, the rockers, with all of these guys. Imagine the mouth-watering combinations you could have had against Killer Bees, against the Rougeos when they were baby faces, against even the Bushwhackers. Get them. Imagine the Midnights and and Jim Cornette with, with the Bushwhackers as foils. Mm. That would probably have been their first program because everyone fought the Bushwhackers first, I think, when they came in. But. The, the the potential there was incredible. Um, and to have that kind of profile and that kind of presence and not have a run in WWF is 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 crazy, but credit to them, they, they, they did what was best for business. Mm. Your number eight? Yeah, number eight was a weird one because this is sort of the last one where I tried to think of someone a bit outside of the box. So like, I wanted someone that was had made a name for themselves in either the NWA or AWA sort of 70s through to 80s. Because, mm-hmm. again, I think me discovering AWA was through, first of all, the Mr. Perfect yeah. um, DVD that came out, and then, obviously, the the AWA history one. Um, so this could have been a million people, like David Von Erich was on my short list for this. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple of others as well. Uh, Billy Robinson was another one, mm. but I chose Nick Bockwinkle mm-hmm. um, purely for the fact that, again, like I discovered him way, way, way after what he did. But it was the it was the Kurt Hennig matches, and I thought, oh, I'd, I'd give it a watch because obviously I heard the story about them going sixty minutes, mm-hmm. and then I watched the match and I was like, holy shit! <laughs> I see what they're talking about pace and like that's the thing with Bockwinkle when he was AWA um, heavyweight champion, 
He was, I think he, I think I'm right in saying he was in his 40s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, he was in his 40s and bloody hell could he go. Loads of, because I think people hear his name and go, oh, he's just one of those wrestlers who was just a wrestler. No, loads of no. personality as well. Oh, and he was a fantastic talker, like in that really articulate, slick, suave kind of way. And he was, for me again, like it came, I wanted to pick someone who like epitomised what, you know, the old sort of NWA world champion, so your Harley races and your Briscoes and, you know, your Funks before before Terry lost his mind. <laughs> but, you know, that real, like, again, sophisticated, it's like suit-wearing professional. And I think Bockwinkle wins out for being the fact that he was the only guy. And I, I made a note, apparently he was in a Legends Battle Royal in, like, the late 80s on a house show. But, yeah, he, he was a real... A, a, a guy that I found quite interesting because I, I, I accidentally stumbled across, and then, like you said, I got the. I, I thought he was just this name that fit in with you know Fez and you know like Ed Strangler Lewis and all these names, and then I watched his stuff, and again, this was in the two thousands, and I was blown away by his athleticism and as like you said, the overall package of him. So mm. that's why I snuck him in. Good at number eight. Good sneakage. Well, my number seven will be quite short and sweet because it's already been featured by someone else. My number seven is the Young Bucks. Good choice. Um, thanks, mates. Um, <laughs> I know I did my research into it. They have both been, both Nick and Matt have been on WWE shows as extras, including once uh, on the old ECW show. Dressing up as Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Oh yeah, oh. Okay, yeah, on the dirt sheet. Yeah, which is mental if you think about yeah, it. Is <laughs> um, was that where the party started? Yes, um, and uh, I mean they've got a great a canon of brilliant work. So Ring of Honor, PWG in particular, New Japan, loads and loads of great work. Um, bags of personality. The point you made about them changing the merch game, mm-hmm. all brilliant. Um, but also. Even now, when I watch them, they make me feel like I felt when I was 13 years old and I used to watch the Rockers. Mm-hmm. That's genuinely how they feel. I always look at them and go, you're Sean and Marty. And that's how I like. I feel like a kid watching them. Because I know, psychology, ring psychology-wise, they're not everyone's cup of tea. No. But I, I like it whenever people... I think someone tweeted them a little while ago about, um, about them super-kicking someone to kill them. Um, they said, oh, I really don't like this person who used to super kick them. Um, either Nick or Matt replied with, well, it'll take 27 to do the job. <laughs> Which is like, they've got a sense of humour about it. And wrestling is constantly evolving. If we if we all take the old school mentality, I found myself, as I approached 40, I found myself as a wrestling promoter saying, oh, these kids. And then stopping myself from thinking, well, hang on. In in Let's say I'm still promoting wrestling in 10 years' time. I'll be nearly 50. And I will be of a very different mindset to the crowd of progress or wherever I'm promoting. So, you know what I mean? It, it's a very, it, it, wrestling's always changing and I think we have to salute people like the Young Bucks because they are entertaining as fuck. They're the sort of people that put put a Young Bucks match on in front of non-wrestling fan wife and she will, she will, she will squeal at least once when they do something bizarre and she'll, she'll probably have a laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, sometimes the believability goes one way but you know what? They're fun. Wrestling's meant to be fun, isn't it? Yeah, and I think this is why I found it so difficult to find modern wrestlers for this list. Like, I, I, I have some, but I think... I've not got many. <laughs> yeah, but no, but it's, it's true because it's that thing of... 
they people either go you know relatively quickly to WWE now, or people don't for whatever reason rock the boat. Or you know you've got people that like I think I think it is to be said that again like that's such a good point about oh these kids. But it is always these kids that are buying the product and falling in love with wrestling because we were those kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we sat through the Attitude Era and ECW and you guys probably sat through even worse WCW <laughs> earlier on and et cetera, et cetera. And I think, I think that's that's such an important thing to constantly remember of the... Again, and, and even to go back to the point about Rocco and, Rocco and Marty... Like, you know, you hear Regal talk about that match and say, oh, the, the, the reactions people had to that match back in 1970, whatever, they, they said they were ruining the business. And it's like, I think that's what's really interesting. And I think I think it's great to see now that a lot of the independent wrestlers, especially in the British scene, are guys that a few years ago were relatively obscure and were probably perceived as being like, oh, well, why are you doing that? That's not what everyone else does. And it's like, well, that's the point. Like, uh-huh. you know, that people have changed that whole ideal. And now WWE has evolved. The WWE main event picture, compared to what it was five years ago, let alone ten years ago, is, is night and day. And I think that's that's important to highlight, especially in, like, modern wrestling, that it's constantly evolving. But um, if we'd have been doing this five years ago, the lists would have been very, very different. Yeah. Because you were spoilt for choice in terms of great contemporary wrestlers who were not who had never had a WWE run yeah. and now yeah. let's be honest now that WWE have gone wait a minute we're the best wrestling company in the world yeah. let's get all the best wrestlers mm-hmm. and and most part they're doing it yeah yeah um Christopher your number 7 um my number 7 is the great muta oh nice nice yeah a guy who yeah, who who was very limited in considering in terms of full time work in the US, he was at like a year. Yeah. A year and then sporadic appearances. Um and then a guy who reinvented himself and reinvented himself and reinvented himself and basically played two characters on New Japan. He feuded with himself essentially. You know, he was in the NWO and he wasn't at the same time. And and then he went to all Japan, and at the point where everyone thought, well, he's broken, he can't do anything else. All of a sudden, shining wizard, off we go, shave his head. You yeah. know, he's he's a new guy. Imagine that evolution taking place in WWE. Imagine that. I mean, imagine if he. It, I mean, I'm not saying it could have, but and, and until recently, frankly, the the odds are he would have been given Mister Fuji as a manager and the Orient Express music. Mm. You know, he could have he could have been replacing Sato quite frankly I love that for a long time if you were from Japan in WWE you were only allowed to be from Tokyo yes it's like creating a character on a video game you're only allowed to be from one city yes absolutely you know considering I think out of all my favourite Japanese wrestlers none of them are from Tokyo no (laughs) I love I I loved Muta when I was was growing up partly because there was several characters in video games that were based on Muta Mm. And so seeing him in WCW for the first time mm-hmm. made me go ooh. Um, uh, and also he spat he spat a mist, which when I was doing e wrestling, my characters always used to spit mist because it's a cool as a fuck thing to do. Uh, really difficult to do in reality. You end up dribbling down your chin. Well, it also involves keeping a condom full of food colouring in your mouth for an entire match. 
I mean, that's not as nuts as the Shawn Michaels blading thing, where there is, I forget which show it is, Shawn Michaels used to keep his blade in his mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is mental. And there's there's a point where he gets knocked out of the ring and he blades, he spits the blade out, blades, gets rid of the blade before he lands outside the ring. That's, that's, Jesus. That's fucking dynamo level shit. Yeah. That's, that, I, I hated Muta the first time I saw him. Did you? Yeah, hated him. In the best possible yeah, way. Because you meant it. Because yeah, exactly. Because he was the guy uh, who was beating up Sting, mm. and St- and he in it was Future Shock '89, um, uh, Stark '89 Future Shock, where it was him and Sting, and Sting couldn't get anything on him at all. Yeah, I hated him for it. But he did a moonsault as well. Which oh yeah. Was, yeah. People forget how mind blowing it was the first oh, yeah. time you see moonsault, someone do a moonsault. Handspring elbow. Mm. Uh, loads of kicks. Oh yeah! Oh, it was great. Every every time he started the match, and he'd throw that roundhouse, and whoever their opponent was, they'd go, "Oh shit!" and back away. And of course, the the two things you should go and look up that Muta did um, are the Muta scale. Um, so when the Muta scale, we've talked about this on the podcast before. The Muta scale is if you are one point oh Muta, um, then you are bleeding more than it's possible to bleed in a wrestling match. Um, you are actually having a transfusion. Yeah, you as are, you bleed. You are You're... Eddie Guerrero against JBL. That's the the American reference to it. This all comes from a match with uh, Sarashi Hayes, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, where there's one point where Hayes bites him in the head and just spits out a chunk of flesh. That's how gory this match is. Um, that's not my favourite Japanese. Muta match. My favourite one is his match against Jinzei Shinzaki oh. or Hakushi. Oh. oh, good lord! Which oh. is which is dark versus light. Stop talking dirty to me, please. It, this it, match is fucking brilliant. It's trim. It's just it, the whole thing. It's White Monk against yeah. Satan. Mm-hmm. That, that's that. The whole point of that match is he is Satan. Yes, like that is. There are video games where the fi- there's many a video game where the final boss is Satan yes. uh, in in Japan, yes. um, uh, and. Great Muta, for a long period of time, was essentially the devil's representative on Earth. So he was the final boss of New Japan. He was. He really was. Um, uh, and But his feud with Jinzei Shinzaki leading to a match where... I mean, he comes out... Even just these fucking yeah. fire-breathing dragons on his shoulder oh, and so everything. Gangster. It's fucking <laughs> tremendous. Can, can I tell you about my one of my favourite recent um, Jin, uh, Jinzei Shinzaki stories? Yes. So I randomly... Uh, I got recommended on Twitter, God bless Twitter, to watch a Michinoku Pro main event, right. which was the great Sasuke, or Suzuki, whatever would you pronounce it, um, against... I thought it was called Great Sassy. Great, that's not, that is now how he's being referred how to. How Sassy. So the Great Sassy... Mm-hmm. Is the the great, only thing Great Sasuke ever says on it mm-hmm. is... Mm-hmm. So yeah, Great Suzuki. He's or a politician Sasuke. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Former. Um, against uh, the Brahman brothers. Yeah. And Sasuke on his team has got the new Sailor Boys, which is the Brahman Brothers' old gimmick. Oh, sorry, one of my alarms is just going off. Um, Time to get so, it. So yeah, so he's so got the, the new Sailor Boys versus the Brahman <laughs> Brothers, who their partner is Hakushi. So not Shinzaki, yeah. Hakushi. So they bring a fucking coffin to the ring, right? <laughs> they end up having this mad match that's just genuinely insane. Hakushi rises from the dead. They they resurrect Hakushi, <laughs> who then goes on this fucking tear. But everyone realizes what a catastrophic, fucking terrible decision this is. As Hakushi's just running riot, literally running through the whole Michinoku Pro like roster. So Sasuke and the new Sailor Boys end up like like having to fight with Brahman Brothers to take Hakushi down, right? And this is how like they end up the match finishes, whatever. And the way they get rid of Hakushi, and I, <laughs> uh, me and me and my housemate Cooper. 
pissed ourselves laughing at this because, like, Sasuke started to control him and lead him off towards the coffin. And then, like, he had this cloth with him that he put round him. And I jokingly went to Cooper. He's going to fucking make him disappear. <laughs> like, and I, honestly, and we, we laughed. We laughed 30 seconds before Great Sasuke fucking made Haku disappear. It's the, one of the best, like, it's like Penn and Teller level of magician shit. And Haku, she just disappears. And Oh my God, it's the greatest thing oh, in the world like, ever. Like, that means he could appear anywhere. Exactly. Nope. Mention him again. Hakushi, Hakushi, Hakushi. No. Oh, he's it's amazing. I, it, it's on the internet somewhere, but it's one of the greatest like sleight of hand magic trick from one of the best, most insane wrestlers in the world. Um, whew. Good. Anything else to add about Great Muta before we make him do his number seven? He's dead good, wasn't he? He was dead good. Good, Great good. good rounding up. Number seven, Matthew. My number seven is a previously mentioned Marty Jones. Um, and the reason I picked Marty was because I didn't feel right picking Rocco because he had a very loose association. See, I nearly picked Marty. It, it was Marty or Rocco for me. So yeah. I'm glad you picked him. And it's, it's pretty much exactly the same reasons you picked Rocco in terms of the influence that his style has had over junior heavyweight style as well as, as like you said, rightfully so, the whole of like professional wrestling. And I think the thing with Marty to be applauded is that he could have gone everywhere and done everything and stuff like that, but for whatever happened or whatever reasons, he, he didn't. And, and I think that kind of makes him a little bit more, like in my mind, remembered slightly more fondly. Like he's... He's that he's he's the other guy, but he deserves all the credit in the world. And you know, it's, it's it, again for someone that that now knows Marty relatively well. You know, to the point where I'd say it was an acquaintance or a friend. It's still I still have little moments where I'm like, that's Marty Jones, that, and that's mental. Like you know, um, and yeah, he's just I just he's got such a great body of work. Like go back and watch it, and and he's nails as well. The hardest man in the world. I think ever. it's safe to say as well. I mean, it's easy to forget that people's influence is is beyond their own actions. I mm. mean, we wouldn't be sat here having this conversation if it wasn't for Marty Jones, mm. because without Marty Jones, he wouldn't have trained William Regal. Without William Regal, I certainly know. I mean, Jim and I were silly mates, but we probably wouldn't have the the connection of having these mm. conversations that we do now. And you know, it, it's it's yeah, the the impact he's had, it, it's. In, in terms of ripples throughout the entire industry. Quite spectacular when you think yeah. about it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, to number six. My number six is a man that me and Chris Brooker once made corpse during an actual match, Homicide. Homicide's one of my favourite indie wrestlers ever, for a couple of reasons. One is his finisher is the best finisher in the history of wrestling. I know he didn't invent it. Um, uh, It was Kudo who invented it, wasn't it? The Vertebraker. Cop killer. I thought it was Helms. No, he um he, he, he lifted it, lifted it yeah. off. A, like most people, he, he lifted Megumi, it off. A Megumi Kudo. Woman. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's a Kudo it. driver. So yeah, no, you said it. Um, that's what it's called in WWE 2K17. Anyway, it's called the Kudo driver because oh. not I'm probably not allowed to call it a cop killer uh, or gringo killer, depending on which uh, which incarnation of homicide you've got. Um, homicide in Ring of Honor was a joy. Uh, unless you were feuding with him, then it was terrifying. Um, his feud with Steve Carino is brilliant. His feud with Colt Cabana, uh, where he poured Drano into his mouth, is brilliant. Although, is, strictly speaking, Drano is kosher, yeah. so it's okay. He is one of the most terrifying five foot ten inch wrestlers you will ever come across. And me and Christopher, um, we genuinely made him corpse at a TNA show when he was part of LAX, who were a great underrated tag team, him and uh, uh, Sean Hernandez. Um, they were brilliant, but they were wrestling Petey Williams uh, and someone else uh, at a show in Coventry. And we were chanting stuff like the dicks that we were back then. Because mm-hmm. uh, we were in, went into business for ourselves, guys. Um, uh, and um, <laughs> We are awesome, though. We are awesome. Um, and we made him laugh. You could see him doing the full Steve Austin corpse. Mm-hmm. Head head uh, on arm, on top rope, mm-hmm. uh, shaking. And Homicide, still great now, is in LAX again now. Um uh, I think he's about 40 years old, similar age to me. But back his Ring of Honor glory days. And imagining him... I always view... Savio Vega was kind of a... If you've watched Savio Vega in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. he was so intense. And then, with the exception of the matches that he had with Steve Austin at the beginning of Austin's WWE career, he kind of fizzled out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he was always solid. and Everyone knew he was solid, but he wasn't exciting. Mm-hmm. And he could have been. And I think Homicide, mid noughties Homicide coming in as a heel in post-Attitude Era WWE would have terrified people and he would have been absolutely brilliant. Um, So yeah, Homicide's my number six. He could have been, what, New Jack? I just just popped into my head that, yeah. Yeah, he was was New Jack. New Jack who could behave. New Jack who could, well, I wouldn't necessarily go that far necessarily, (laughs) but then compared to New Jack, fucking everyone behaves. Yeah, um, Russell Brand behaves. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, Homicide is is incredibly charismatic, isn't mm. it? He's such a and he's believable. And I, did I ever tell you the story about one of my favourite things? Is watching. It's 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 when very very white people try to be homicide. <laughs> I mean, when I say whiter than me, yes, yeah, you know, you get the yes. feeling. And it was at Ring of Honor in Liverpool where someone who couldn't roll his R's. 
was trying to because you know seeing seeing homicide and Julia Smokes together is great because they you know especially in Liverpool with all these comic book geeks which is what most of us are at heart seeing these two proper street thugs or um you know and there was a guy stuck next to me who was who probably will now be a hipster you know he was a pre hipster hipster but he was trying to do it but couldn't so he's just going bra 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 <laughs> you let yourself down. You've let your family down. You've let everybody down. That's why I love Homicide. Julius Smokes. Yeah. Also, just had the idea of Homicide with Stokely Hathaway. I love Stokely Hathaway. He's the. He's doing progress in New York. I know. He's the. Um, he's <laughs> one of my favourite things in the world. Um, he. So I only briefly got to meet him when we did our shows with Evolve, and him coming out, introducing Timothy Thatcher. And then with all sincerity, basically running down an entire crowd and then just going, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, good night, and just walking back again is one of the coolest things, I've told him, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, the fact that he he lives in New York um, was of great assistance to him being on our show, uh, but he would, he really wanted to be. like he His um, 30 for 30 thing is up on YouTube today, um, and loads of people have been tweeting me, telling me how good it is, so I'm looking forward to watching that later on. Oh, that's going on the list. Um I love Stokely. Yeah. Super, super happy a bit of progress show. Um, Christopher, you're number six. Uh, my number six. Christopher Daniels. Oh, no, wait, wait. I've changed my mind. Curry man. Oh, <laughs> he's hot. He's the it's same great. person. You're more than one Whoa. persona is the same. What are you what? saying? What? 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 Sorry, guys. Jesus. Sorry to break it to you. Um, anyway, Christopher Daniels. Yeah, there you go. We've, we've kind of covered CD. Yeah, my boy, C-Dizzle. My boy, C-Dizzle. Your number six, then. Uh, my number six um, is... is you just write the 30 for 30 documentary yeah, on your yeah, notes yeah. on your phone. Yeah, this is why I love you, Matt. Because well, I'm organised. Yeah. Because I've got a memory of an actual fish. Yes, you have. I'm an idiot. Not a goldfish. One no. of the better ones. Yeah. yeah. A carp. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, talking of carps, um, you could argue... <laughs> what a link... <laughs> You could argue. What? Have you, you chosen Robson Green? <laughs> you could argue that he's the king carp. No, it's a terrible segue. It's got nothing to do with the person you I'm going to choose. You should have just owned it. You should have just I know. owned it. Nothing to do with the poisson. But no. <laughs> Come on! But... Never topping that! French and a pun. Get in. Bravo. Dear world, this is suck why, it. This is why I can't commit to these things. Because I've got two stand-up comics I, I told, staring at me. I told them no Yeah, one, but I'm sick of I told yeah. I told a Noam Dyer joke on stage on Saturday night. Go on, get it in before okay. I do it. All right, all right. So Noam Dyer, don't ask Noam Dyer what date it is. Ask his brother Callan. Nice. Nice. And talking of calendars, my number six <laughs> is a man for all seasons. It's not Xander Cooper, uh, but it is the quintessential British wrestler. It is Johnny Saint. Uh, and the reason why I picked Johnny Saint, again, is... It's that thing of, we had a conversation before, like very briefly about, would he have done big things in WWE or WWF? And the answer is probably no, because, you know, he would have come in and had some absolutely insane matches against some wonderful lightweights and would have gone on his merry way. But I think it's, it, he deserves the mention because he is, he is British wrestling after Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. You know, he's the guy that everyone goes, oh, yeah, you know, like, and, and he was this wonderful mix of this rugged northerner 
of a tattoo that had the finesse of a ballet dancer, but then could also break your arm. Yeah. But would mesmerise you, and he had this charisma about him that was just charming. Like, I think that's the one thing that I always take away from some of my favourite world of sport wrestlers, is how charismatic some of my favourites are. Like, for instance, I really like Steve Gray, but he wasn't the most charismatic man. But one of my my favourite world of sport wrestlers is Vic Faulkner, mm. who recently passed away, very sadly. But the reason why I loved Vic Faulkner is he had that beautiful balance of being this charming, witty gentleman and then an absolute magician. Like, one of my... Like, I know Mr. Gallagher's a massive fan of Faulkner and it's, it's the one where he brings the referee over and says, Mr. Referee, and then uses him to escape the hold. And it's just wonderful little moments like that. And obviously the master of that style and that art was Johnny Saint. And it was wonderful to see. I'm sure you both watched the, the video recently after he spent time in NXT mm-hmm. and in the most northern British way going, yeah, well, thank you very much for that. Right, we have none of that anymore. Stop clapping, get back to training, see you later. Nice one. It was beautiful but it, he is he is an absolute pioneer of, of that style and, and and I think he should be still spoke about today with, with such such you know praise and accolades because he was phenomenal so the, the reason I didn't put Johnny on my list despite the being him being the reason I like wrestling mm. the, the first reason I like wrestling and I'm very lucky that I've got to tell him that in person and he's been on Tuesday Night Jewel um, is just I feel that the, the absolute peak of his career was just a bit before WWE yeah. became became a national company. Yeah. And that's the I was trying to think about that from that point of view of, you know, him in the late seventies, he would have been perfect. And I don't think yeah. he, I think I mean spoke to him about it. he didn't really come to America. He went to Japan a little bit but mm. but he wasn't really bothered about America. Well, did he, he, was did he um was he one of the guys who kept his day job as well? Yeah, yeah. I he, at, at some point, so towards the end of his career, from from something he told me recently, I think he had he had a corner shop in Blackpool. And yeah, stuff like that. I've heard. So, yeah, but it, but most of the time, from when he was on Tuesday Night Joe, you'd, you'd hear that he was away six days a week. Mm-hmm. So back when wrestling was insane, yeah. he did go into. Cause people forget he's seventy six. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Which is like so he is thirty seven years older than me. <laughs> And nine thousand times fitter than I am, or yeah. will ever be. Like it's such amazing shape. And he also, he always struck me as the kind of guy you could always trust to have a thermos on him. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? He probably he, does. He, he could yeah, beat you yeah. up, but if, if he'd make you a cup of tea or Bovril, oh, yeah. he'd have a mug of Bovril for you afterwards. And I think what's wonderful as well about him being at the performance center is there's going to be a new generation of wrestlers that might not necessarily be wrestlers or wrestling fans before they were in the performance mm. center that might have little tricks that Johnny Saints taught them. <laughs> Which isn't that just a wonderful thing? Yeah, what, what a wonderful moment that's going to be to see a former bodybuilder you know, use a slight leverage tweak that Johnny Saints did. He, oh, that's going to be, be brilliant. And you can tell as well like his time there from, from just seeing how everyone reacted to him and, 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 and the way people spoke about him, how respected he is. And, yeah. and, and that's genuinely lovely to see as well. It, it's, you know, especially for, for people like us who are very proud and, and, and happy to be part of Brit Wrestling as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Right, we're into our top fives. Uh, number five, for me, hasn't been mentioned yet, uh, I think is one of the best heels in wrestling history. Ooh. And that Ooh. is... Art Bar. Ooh. So, unfortunately, he passed away in 1994. 
Um, I would have put a, a huge fan of Eddie Guerrero, so I would have loved it if if Art and Eddie could either team together or feuded with each other in WWE during Eddie's time in WWE. Um, I think he would have ended up in ECW with Eddie and Dean and Chris, uh, Chris was, Benoit um, and everybody. I believe the initial interest in Eddie was that um, Paul Heyman wanted to bring them into work public enemy. Yeah. yeah. And um, if you ever want to see heat, <laughs> oh. <laughs> watch Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero against uh, El Hijado Santo and Octagon Jr. World Collide, wasn't it? Uh, no, just Octagon, not Octagon Jr. Yeah. Um, uh, from when Worlds Collide. Uh, it is a five-star Dave Meltzer match. It's two out of three falls uh, match, which is normal for Lucha tag team rules. There's no tags, which is normal for Lucha. Um, it's obscene. It's a, that's a hair versus mask match. Yeah, and it is... Yeah. Um, but like, like You've never seen hatred like it. Ever. Um, and his charisma... I love Eddie. Art was as good as Eddie Guerrero. He... Um... Art was more. I mean, we all know how charismatic Eddie Guerrero is now, but Eddie was very much in his shadow mm. to the point where I saw, when I saw when Worlds Collide on 17th generation VHS, yep. crackling away, fiddling with the tracking, all that shit, I, Eddie was, Eddie was the workhorse. Mm. Eddie was the guy who was the straight man. And considering what Eddie went on to do, the thought of someone being so charismatic that Eddie was in their shadow is almost mind blowing. Yep. Invented the frog splash. Yeah. Um, which is pretty sweet. Um and also that match that match we we just mentioned happened two weeks before he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't like he had that and then there was a couple of years of him, oh is he gonna come no, it, that that match was two weeks before he passed away. Now that is like the, just the thought of what he could have achieved, mm. um, and I know there's one of the reasons that he may not have ended up in WWE was to do with his past, which is the same reason that he went to Mexico in the first place and was like, oh, WCW and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but but in terms of of a, a character and someone who just got being a heel, yeah, um, it, it, that go and see, see that match because it is. It's ludicrous. I mean, there's also some great mullets, but that that match is spectacular mullets. Not real mullets either. They had to give them hair extensions to make it more. Well, no, no, because no, no, because it's a genuine story. Is that they just come from Japan, and the nasty boys. um, It was. I have heard this story. (laughs) They roofied him. They they spiked his drink and then shaved his head. Because he was because they knew he had a a, hair versus hair, hair hair so they had to give him extensions. So he was very much a pioneer for the divas. (laughs) <laughs> as well as as for himself, but also, what about his, his WCW gimmick, which makes me laugh? The juicer, the juicer, yeah. Beetlejuice. Yeah, back when they didn't give a shit about copyright, Arachnaman and also, versus the juicer could have been amazing and shut the company down. And also, let's be honest, calling a wrestler from the nineties the juicer, <laughs> yeah, that works on so many. Le- I've never made that connection, but yeah, he's yeah. not a neutral bullet. <laughs> the other type of juice, Do you guys. He'd have had a tremendous career feuding with Pete Gas. Oh. <laughs> There's the puns, guys. It's no Man. poisson, but it's still pretty good. Um, who's your number five, Christopher? My number five is a man who immediately made me go, who is this, when I saw him on WCW very briefly in the 1990s. I like how we're doing stars in their eyes. In yeah. now, is it La Parker? No. Oh. Shut up. Do your own list. Dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> it's La Parker. No, it's not La Parker. Um, Blitzkrieg. Shall I do it? Yeah, you do it, yeah. Yeah, do it, come on. You're you're just basically ruining the rest of my list now, aren't you? It is Scott Norton. 
Flash, Scott, Scott Norton. Flash. Oh, I'm he arm wrestled so everyone. Yeah. I'm not even sarcastically on board for this. I fucking love Scott Norton. Who doesn't love who? You know, you know who doesn't love Scott Norton? People who are wrong. That's the yeah, kind of I people they've done. I love, I love playing with him in uh, WCW NWO Revenge and using his shoulder breaker oh, as a finisher. Oh, shoulder breaker, which I believe is still a legit finish. Yeah, we're bringing it back. Godfather. Don't look at me like that. Godfather rocked the shit yeah. out of a yeah. shoulder breaker. Tell you what, yeah. tell you what, you know what? Let's get Scott Norton over here. You take the shoulder breaker and you tell us if it's a legit finish. He was in the uh, the arm wrestling film, wasn't he? Over yep, the top. Over the top. Over the top, which if you want to listen to a, an ep- a great episode of a podcast, the How Did This Get Made live episode about Over the Top <laughs> is probably my... I think I've listened to that one episode. I think it's it's I think it's on Stitcher Premium now, so you have to pay for it. But I've listened to that one episode 30 times. It's so funny. They don't even mention Scott Norton, no. but it's they mention arm wrestling at great length. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so so big Scott Norton man. Also, there's a great footage of him and and Yukon John Nord doing an awful promo about jacks. Yeah, about pancakes. Go look for that. Um, I mean, people forget as well. His legacy in WCW is fine. His legacy in New Japan. Oh man, is massive. Yeah. Also, I mean, right, the thing. Right, so Scott, he was, Norton, in, he was a Wrestle Kingdom this year, wasn't he? Yeah, Scott Norton, uh, and he he's he's the kind of guy who looks like he looks like the Juggernaut from X Men in real life. He looks like, you know, he's proper, oh, you don't want to shoot Norton, you'll just make him mad. You know, he's he is hard as nails, bigger than life. You know, I'm surprised he just wrestled in Tokyo, didn't trample the fucker. And, and the first time I saw him, he turned up on WCW murdering people, back mm. in the days of squash matches. And he had a match at Slamboree against Sting. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. He faced the convict instead, who was Nails. Nails. Yeah. In his only WCW appearance. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then he came back. He was part of the NWO, Vicious Delicious, um, all that stuff. But he's just, he's one of those guys where when he came the aisle, down the aisle, he went, oh God, someone's fucked. Yeah. He's got that. And I, I bizarrely, I messaged him on MySpace way back in the day. <laughs> When I first found MySpace, and I realised... Please tell me his MySpace picture was taken from above. Like oh, a... yeah, satellite. <laughs> Otherwise, they couldn't fit his immenseness in. So he, he was on MySpace, and it was back when it was such a rarity that people would reply. And I'd written a blog about wrestling and comedy, comparing them to each other. And I sent it to him and said, have a look, what do you think? And he went, are you sure you're not a wrestler? And I marked the fuck out for several days. Didn't leave the house, just walked around in circles. Um, and I said, I actually got to say... Why didn't you have that match with Sting? Because I was really looking forward to it. And he said two words, Ole Anderson. And yeah, so clearly something happened. Oh. Ole fucked him off and he, and he left because it was in 1993. But then, you know, even in like one of my favourite matches from Nitro, when things were a little bit fucking rank, you know, when things weren't healthy, you know, when the rock was setting in, was, was when Ernest the Cat Miller was reviled by internet fans. But he was doing this amazing heel work. And he was unbeaten. And then he had a match with Scott Norton, who knocked the fuck out of him. <laughs> and I thought it was brilliant. And and just, he's so believable. Such a badass. I loved, again, one of my favourites to play as in WCW and WR Revenge. Great moves. Powerbomb wasn't even his finish. <laughs> it was just one of his moves. And then, you know, if, if he'd have been, he was IWGP champion during a bit of a so-so period, I think oh. it was. And if it had been a little earlier or a little later, I mean, the Jurassic Powers, what a oh, great name for a tag team as well. It's one of my favourite names him for and, a tag team. Him and Hercules. Oh, and, and I think it's Stevie's favourite name for a tag team because it's got Jurassic in it. 
I think yeah. it's I think it's only second to Miracle Violence. That's, that's the best one. I was just yeah. thinking that's the best yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, I think only second to that, which is high. I, I won't hear a word said against Eminem. I also like Bad Intentions. Great, um, is it Great Bash Heel or get Great Heel Bash? Great Bash Heel. Yeah, that's GBH. Great yeah, Bash Heel. You must making these up as you go on. Oh you? no, that's what's great about them. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your number five? Now, I could tell you my number five. <laughs> Just fucking tell us all. <laughs> I could show you. I could you show you a contemporary dance. I could go through an elaborate card Matt, trick Matt, to show your, you put your card, who my number on, five mate. is, which is probably a little bit of a suggestion because my number five is Nigel fucking McGuinness. Oh, do you know what? So what? We we have dissent in the room. Yes. Right. So the thing with Nigel is, I'm not just picking Nigel because he's a phenomenal technical wrestler and a, and a phenomenal wrestler and also a very nice chap as well he's mm. a bloody lovely, lovely bloke he was nearly on my list the thing with Nigel is and and you were there when I got to say this to him I I, I was very lucky to, to present a showing of his documentary and have a very brief Q&A with him and, and have a chance to, it's the first time I, I met him and I'd sit down and have a chat with him and I was watching this doc- documentary and I was watching him wrestle Brian Danielson and, and, and Tyler Black and fucking Claudio Castanoli and Chris Hero and all the people who went for Ring of Honor. Like, and, and it struck me that Nigel McGuinness was about 10 years ahead of everyone else. That European flair mixed with what's probably called strong style now. Like Nigel was doing that with the pure title as well as the Ring of Honor world title. And his stuff with Daniel Bryan is some of the most... And I, I, there's not much I can't watch in wrestling. Keeping in mind that I watch Tournament of Death every year religiously, love it, no problem. There's not much that in wrestling that I can't actually go back and watch. And and the one thing is the turn, the turn, the, oh, the, 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 the ring post Liverpool. spot with Daniel Bryan in Liverpool, which is one of the most horrific things that's ever happened in a professional wrestling match. But it's that thing of, I mean, it, obviously didn't do him any favours going forward, but his legacy, it, it should be remembered as well as being the guy that was almost the guy. Mm. And, and and I think that's, I think obviously Nigel, if you watch his documentary, had to deal with that a lot in his life because, you know, if you don't realise how close Nigel was, he, was, he had a contract and, and, mm. and had it ripped away with him. And then not only that, but saw all his friends and all these people that he'd come through with go on to achieve great things. So I think with Nigel, it's, it's quite a sad story, but at the same time, we should focus on the positive side of it, which was that he's influenced a whole generation of wrestlers, including the likes of Zach Gibson, obviously, is one of the most obvious ones. <laughs> Bless him. Um, you've been rumbled, mate. Um, but I think the thing as well is that it's like... He's been recognised. It's funny because I don't think I appreciated Nigel in that moment. Yeah. And again, I think that's why he makes my list is that one of them people that when you go away and really think about it and go back and watch his work and go, you were genuinely one of the best professional wrestlers uh, ever, really. And uh, and that's why he's on my list. Good choice. Um, Ring of Honor world champion for uh, over 500 days as well. And he used the word wanker in a promo, which gets my vote. Um, my number four. Is a tag team. And you could tell us who it is. I'm going to. <laughs> or uh, it's the Briscoes. Nice. This, Ooh. Now, 
So, um, the Briscoes are, I mean, Jay's been ring of honor champion twice. Um, they, so I look at, I look at tag teams. I always think there's, there's one tag team that defines an era all the time. So the Dudleys were it for a long period of time, for example. Um, and like the Rock and Roll Express were it for a long period of time and so on. And with the Briscoes, I think the mid noughties from sort of 2005, 2006 to about now, the Briscoes have been the best tag team in the world. <laughs> now I know people go, Oh, the young books. I love the young books. They're on this, they're, they're in my list, but I think the Briscoes are, I think everything they do looks more painful. I think as, as what two wrestlers should look like, they look like they would rip your head off and kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, they would do that anyway if they weren't wrestlers. Um, uh, they are they are genuinely terrifying. I'm also aware um, that choosing them gives a certain bit of co- uh, controversy because, um, like for example, uh, I know Jay in the past has said some very offensive stuff, which is probably one of the reasons they've never ended up there. Um, I didn't realise that when he, he said some stuff about gay marriage, and I didn't because re- I, I remember reading about him saying that and thinking, oh. That's a shame because I really like those guys, but I can't get on board with someone who says something like that. Mm. I didn't realise how much he'd apologised for that after it mm. and said it was I, I was I shouldn't have done it. I was acting in character, and then he donated his next two shows worth of fees to uh, uh, a charity, an anti sort of uh, hate speech charity. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that, so that mm. actually made him go back over my estimations again. Mm. The stuff that they've been doing in Japan recently has kind of reinvigorated them. They're always going to be a central part of Ring of Honor. I think they're probably the most central part of Ring of Honor in its mm-hmm. in its history, and they've never been anywhere. Mm. Um, and I'm because they're both big lads, and I think they've got a ready made gimmick, right? I mean, they're not the Godwins. But they are country boys. They're, they're country them. boys from Delaware. It's and not it, a gimmick. No, they it's are. It's not a gimmick. That's yeah. them. Yeah. And that's why they're so believable. And and to sort of cross-reference, you know, the X and the Y axis, we've discussed Young Bucks and Briscoes. Mm. One of my favourite matches I've seen live was the Young Bucks versus the Briscoes at York Hall, mm. which I went into going, I don't really get the Young Bucks, and I left going, that was amazing. That was so much fun. But I think if they had the right guidance, I think if they're in WWE, they'd have to slow the fuck down because they do a they do a lot of head drop moves and they do mm-hmm. a lo- they do a lot of everything in every match. Mm-hmm. But and and then if you look at then the the one of the reasons they're higher than the Young Bucks for me is if you look at the value of splitting a team up. I think if you split the Young Bucks up, um, Matt and Nick aren't. But they're not as exciting when they're no. not a team. And I know they never want to be split up. No. Jay and Mark, as mm-hmm. separate wrestlers and feuding with each other and then going their separate ways, they could go on to have their own Well, they, were, they weren't even a tag team when they first happened. They, were, fe- they were feuding, weren't they? So. Yeah. But I think... And then and when Jay was champion, yeah. Mark, they, they there was a long time when they were Briscoe A and Briscoe B and yeah. they just looked the same. And then Mark started doing the wet redneck kung fu thing, which mm. is hilarious. Yeah. Just oh man, they're so good. But I'm, I, I think it's probably been stuff they've said that has kept them away from WWE. Because mm-hmm. if you look at them, they are phenomenal. They're the, one of the best tag teams of a generation, and for them to, for them to have not had that chance is is genuinely surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, take away the stuff that they've they've said, which is you know certainly abhorrent, but um, and has been apologised for. But I think them in the ring just. Like, I've never watched a Briscoe Brothers match I've not enjoyed. Imagine them now against, again, in WWE, 
them versus the Usos in 2017 mm-hmm. would be absolutely fantastic. Them versus the Revival. <laughs> them versus the Revival would be absolutely ridiculous. Southern style. It would be like the, the, the Fantastics and the, and the Midnight Express all over again. It would be amazing. I think it would be more like the Fantastics against the Sheep Herders. Oh, which good. is a five-star match. And no, it's the Bushwhackers. Go back. It's on the network. Go and watch it. It's a five-star match that ends in a double disqualification nice. after ten minutes, and it, the heat off that. Fuck me, brilliant. Um, number four, Chris. To call this next match. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> his phone's just—he's got notes on his phone. And it's just full of intros. No list. Anyway, who have you got? Number four. Spud. Oh, that trainee trainee was doing ring crew for us on the weekend. Nine months in, and I see more promise in him (laughs) than in in that time Misahara Masao was helping us set up the ring at Grand Pro Wrestling a few years ago, you know? He's... All right. right, Let's go backwards with this. The fact that this is a guy who can make anything happen he is a guy he's the anomaly of anomalies he's he's five foot four or something like that five foot five and there is nothing he cannot make work mm. i swear to god if ever there's someone who can make a silk purse out of a sow's ear it's 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 spud um the fact that right now he is doing one of my favorite things not just in wrestling but in life as the guy who's had a knock on the head and thinks it's 2002, which he has made out of circumstances that are less than ideal. Mm. He's found himself in a, in a bit of a corner, and he's gone, you know what, I'm just going to do something with it. And it's one of my favourite things in the world. He is consistently, brilliantly entertaining. He, is, he can be funny. He can be loathsome. He can be the underdog that you want to see win. He's got fire. He's got charisma. He can talk. He can wrestle. He can do pretty much anything in the ring that the the, the guys who are indie darlings can do, mm. but chooses not to. Yeah. And it's... Ever since I saw him come out as Rockstar Spud for the first time at one PW show, I thought, Jesus, you're brilliant. Everything he's done that I've seen him do since then has just blown me away. He is... If he was six foot two, he'd be the first British world champion. That, I honestly, genuinely believe, if he was six foot two. But if he was six foot two, he wouldn't have had to learn the lessons he had. Yeah. He wouldn't mm-hmm. be doing the things he did. He's one of my favourite people in wrestling to hang out with. And, and he's, I he's, think he's great. He's, he's, he's a joy to be around. He gets the business like almost no one I know. Mm. You, if you If you... If anyone's listening, they want to learn about wrestling. Be his driver for a day, yeah. drive him around, hang out with him, listen to him, and it's. I want. It's not too late for him. Mm. I want him to get a job in WWE more than I want me to get a job. In <laughs> WWE. And if anyone's listening, I really want a job in WWE. My CV is online at this address. <laughs> no, but yeah, if him in NXT. He should have a job for life at the top of this business because once he's done wrestling, he will help the next generation. Mm. And and that's genuinely how strongly I feel. And and putting aside the fact that I, I love him to pieces personally, you know, and he's a massive twat. <laughs> but, but then he'd be the first to admit it. He's he's everything. And I think he's 
if he doesn't get an opportunity, that's criminal. Yeah. Matthew, mm. number four. Uh, my number four is the fucking Rainmaker himself. Okada! Um, yeah, just wanted to do that. Uh, nice. I think he's dreadful in the ring. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no uh, the reason I picked Okada is he is arguably the best wrestler in the world. I, 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 you know, I know your feelings on, on other people, but he's definitely in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no doubt. And I think what's incredible about him is he is in New Japan now. He is the guy in New Japan, but took a very different path to get there than, than a lot of others. You know, he wasn't handed... He wasn't called an ace. He wasn't handed the opportunity... Um, he he took it and made the most of it. You know, he, he's been through Shikara, TNA. You know, obviously started at Toramon as well in the doomed Toramon X class as well. And he's 29 years old and is consistently putting on some of the best main Keep event matches. That he's only 29. Yeah, he's the same age as me, which is very depressing. Just put it into perspective. Tanahashi is 39 or 40, isn't he? He's, he needs his early 40s now. Yeah. Tanahashi. So it's nuts. And what I, I'm starting to see a little bit of. So the influence that Okada got from doing TNA and stuff like that, mm. I'm starting to see in Sonada, who's starting to have amazing matches. Yeah. So, um, and I think that's what makes him different is that he's he's learned so much from such a vast pool of 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 sort of experience. He's not just you know, hundred percent Japanese, you know, or strong style or anything like that. He's got elements of everything. You know, he can he does stuff that that is genuinely impressive for for a guy his size. And, and again, he's like like WWE have moved their main event sort of style forward. Mm-hmm. So have New Japan over the last years. And, and one of the main people who have led that is Okada and, and the style that he does. And I think, again, I know there'll be a lot of people go, well, Kenny Omega. And it's not that I don't appreciate what Kenny Omega is doing because, I, I, again, exactly like the young mm-hmm. box, I, I genuinely do believe that he is doing something different and is you know, inspiring people and constantly evolving it. But I think Okada has the body of work, the consistency of being the guy. Like, he's one of the one of the first IWGP heavyweight champions in a long time that you go, well, who's going to beat him? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's not because Ghetto's his mate. It's genuinely, he's the best wrestler in this company who is going to beat him. And, in, and whoever is the guy, you know, could be Naito, could be you know, could be a few people. That's going to be super exciting. But I genuinely think he's phenomenal, and he's not even at his peak yet. So, it's one point. Do you think we'll see Okada in WWE one day? Not for a long time. That's my opinion. Because why would he need to go? Because I mean, he's Nakamura was different. Nakamura spent ten plus years, maybe being heralded as, as, you know, he was the new three musketeers, him and Shibata and, and Tanahashi. And I think Nakamura had got to a point where he transitioned from being the sort of MMA guy or, you know, the guy with the sort of shoot stuff to being the, the, the Nakamura he is now. And, and I think he had got to a point where he was like, well, he's got nothing left to prove the same way that Kenta did. And in a way, sort of the same way that Marafuji is in the position as well. So I think not in the near future... And I think that would be a catastrophic, a catastrophic loss for New Japan. That he is their guy. He is the face of of the new era of New Japan. It's like mm. who replaces him? And the, obviously the, the answer is Naito. But you know, you, Naito needs a foil, you know, or, or someone to work with. 
So I think I don't, I can't see it. Obviously, I don't know, and I'm not even going to pretend like I know. But I think he'll be in that company at the top for a long time. Good. Been to our top threes. My number three, remaining in Japan, is Mitsuhiro Masawa. Good. Now, most of my choices have been people that would get by in WWE on their personality as well as their wrestling skill. Masawa, personality-wise, arguably not the best. No. However, the period I would have wanted him in WWE, the mid-90s, when he can wrestle Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. <laughs> um, uh, and it would have been... Maybe Steve Austin, and it would have been the absolute greatest. Um, it, 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 he's not. See, the thing with Ricardo is Ricardo's a great wrestler, but also has the personality, mm. and I think speaks English. Misawa mm-hmm. um, was a, a fairly sort of uh, slumped over guy who never trained, chain smoked when he wasn't wrestling, <laughs> and dropped people on their heads. Yeah. But there was that aura about him, and you know, if, if you could have brought him into WWE. In the 80s, as Tiger Mask 2. Yeah. I feuded him with Rollerball Rocco, yeah. which is another one of our choices. So, he is... He's arguably the greatest in-ring performer of all time, um, depending on your b- viewpoint. Yeah. He's one of my favourite wrestlers of all time. Um, but the reason he's not number one on this list is just... It's down to where would he have fit in with WWE. You could have hired him in the same way that hired Furnace and Lafon. Yeah. You know, you could have hired him just because he was a great wrestler. That wasn't the thing. The, 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 he, he, I think for him to have had a successful WWE career would have needed a bit more of a personality. Mm. Um, but just in terms of the dream matches I would wanted to have seen, you know, you bring him in for a couple of years and just have him wrestle all those people I mentioned before, they would have all have been tremendous. And, you know, that's why he's my number three. Good choice. Number three, Chris. Number three. Now this, I believe, is going to be controversial, mm. um, and I will stand by my choice for reasons become apparent because I think I can get away with it because he has and hasn't been in WWE. Oh God! My number three is Conan. Okay, right, Max Moonlight. Yeah, but he never appeared on TV. I don't believe he was under contract. Okay, so he. Came in and basically gave the gimmick to to Paul Diamond. Yes, um, I was to say Brady Boomer. That was Battle Cap. Yes, yeah. yeah. Who is my number one? Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. spoilers. Look, no Conan. Um, Max Moon never really happened. I mean, because the only people who know because he's like a trivia footnote. Max Moon was Conan, mm. but it's you know you won't believe. Then I don't think I can, I don't think I will I can get away with him now. Right. And the reason I say Conan is anyone who is is only familiar with the shoe-throwing, rolling clothesline guy won't necessarily get, again, if we go back to that When Worlds Collide Mm. event, that in Mexico, if you want a Mexican star, if you want someone who will bring the Hispanic viewers in, Conan was the man in Mexico. He was the absolute man. He was everywhere. He was doing huge business. He was on soap. He... He had the kind of the mainstream crossover appeal that that most wrestlers were killed for. He was like John Cena back in the day. He was yeah. doing all kinds of stuff. He was on the. It's it's the equivalent of having, you know, um, Will Ospreay on EastEnders. You know, it's yeah. that kind of thing. He, that was the kind of shows he was in in, in Mexico, um, and he was a huge huge star. And then when you look beyond that, if you look back to WCW. 
he was one of the most over guys on the roster. And people tend to forget that because because he was overshadowed. And I, I think arguably you could say his in-ring stuff was the weakest part. Hmm. But of, and, and because WCW's merchandise machine wasn't much good and he was often in the NWO... If he'd had like a consistent run of merchandise, you know, him coming out, doing his stick on the mic, doing all of that stuff, was was super over in in WCW. And if he had jumped to WWF in say nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety-nine, he could have been I think he would have been more believable as a leader of Los Bariquas. You know, he could mm-hmm. have been it would have made for a very, very different thing because he actually had that kind of you you sort of believed him. I don't know. I don't know if he genuinely was as gangster as he makes himself out to be, or whether he was less street than I am. But he carried himself like it, and perception is reality. So, considering how he could have been a big Mexican star, and imagining, I I I think that he's still a bit annoyed that WCW never really got behind him. Yeah. And he was super over in WCW, oh, and, and he was massive in Mexico, wasn't and he? And he was also one of my other favourite characters to play in WCW NWO Revenge, because he had the rolling clothesline and that, that, that cradle DDT as his finish. Now, didn't Conan wrestle in WWE as himself, though? When? I'm sure he did. I'm going to look it up. No, I don't believe he ever I did. I seem to remember, you know, before he went gangster Conan, and he had the kind of almost like Roman centurion. No, he wrestled in WCW with that gimmick. Yeah, he was. That was def- only won the US title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one man gang and and he wrestled. It, uh, Conan El Barbero. Conan El Barbero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think as well with Conan, like the argument you can make is that he, he again, if we're talking about people that carved out a legacy, him being one of the first, if not the, if, if not the first, the most vocal, um, you know, person that was in lucha libre culture that wanted to break out of mm-hmm. that. And constantly change what Lucha Libre was, and obviously, you know, everyone knows the story of no Conan, no Rey Mysterio, no Psicosis, no Juventud Guerrera, maybe no yeah. Eddie. You know, he was a big part of modernizing Mexican wrestling, and and again, even to this day with Triple A, Triple A is distinctly different. And maybe not for the good, but distinctly different from CMLL. They, they've got rid of the two out of three falls rules. You know, the the characters are more lavish and over the top and obviously again it's, it's it'd be interesting like i don't i don't know how much input he had into lucha on the ground but he had some input into making that happen so mm. i think that as well as is, is every everything yeah. you make without you know? Conan, like you said he was he was he was such a big part of bringing triple a guys yeah. to ecw to yeah. wcw um yeah he did have a wf contract not as max moon did Ooh. he oh in nineteen, so Max Moon was nineteen ninety to ninety one, um, and then he went back to Mexico, and then he got signed again by WWF in nineteen ninety two. Wrestled three matches on Superstars, and then got let go again. Ah, oh, come on, we've got to let him have it. Oh, we can have it. I'm just saying, but he mm. was—he was never an extra. He was actually contracted, mm. but then annoyed people and got let go of his contract. Yeah, um, yeah, and and would LAX have been so successful if it hadn't been for having him? Yeah, in the corner because he brought. Homicide and initially Apollo and then Machete and then eventually Hernandez in and they became who they are. I didn't remember Apollo or Machete. <laughs> no, that's what I'm here for. Um, who's your number three? Number three? Number three? Who's My number three? three, yeah. So uh, I am staying in Japan and, and, and spoilers, I'm going to be staying in Japan until number one. Uh, number three is 
Hiroshi Tanahashi, as he likes to be called in his native tongue. Um, he's a Jody. <laughs> Tope Con Hilo. Tope Con Hilo. Uh, yeah, so Tanahashi, much like Okada, uh, paved the way for a new generation. And, and he he kind of reminds me very loosely of Michaels in the 90s. Yes. When the ship wasn't necessarily sinking, but it was, you know... It was it, listing pretty badly. Yeah, it? it hit a few rocks and it was leaking quite badly. Tanahashi was this breath of fresh air um, who came in and completely changed the aesthetics of, of what a New Japan wrestler was, as well as the in-ring sort of style. Like, for a... For a top heavyweight IWG you know GP heavyweight contender to do a top rope move is still in that time period was so visually mm. different and I think he he I mean he is basically a god in Japan I mean yeah. and what is not to like I mean he should be on this list basically for the fact of having the greatest hair in professional wrestling maybe only second to James Drake but it's a wonderful Barnet it is fantastic. I think, do tweet Jimmy Havoc and ask him this story, but I'm fairly sure that Jimmy Havoc was on a Rev Pro show with him mm. and um, told him he had great hair. Like, like that was the only thing he said to him that he kind of sort of put his thumbs up and said yes to. I'll be honest with Tanahashi, he does nothing for me. Mm. Like, he's the, only, he's the only sort of top-level guy in New Japan that... I know he's good. Yeah. See, I, I, he has what I call Dolph Ziggler syndrome for me. In that I know he's good and I know everything he does is entertaining. I know loads of people love him or dislike him depending on what reaction he's meant to get. But I just kind of go, eh, it's all right. Like, I don't get, I don't get as excited for Tanahashi matches I do for, um, as I do for when he was the wrestler in Shibata or for Ishii or for Okada or for, yeah. Um, Naito or any of Lij, you know, it's like I just and and I don't I don't know why I have the disconnect with him, and I yeah. don't know if it's because he feels that his it feels that his style is three or four years in the past compared to the, everyone else at the top of their card at the minute. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. But I think for me, the reason why he makes the list for me was because I didn't watch New Japan. Very much. The only reason I ever watched New Japan was the junior heavyweights. I think I've said this before because I had no interest in, in heavyweight Japanese wrestling sure. apart from Noah at that time, which was killing it. And um, so Tanahashi, as well as Nakamura, who would definitely be on this list if, if, if he wasn't there in WWE now, was one of the guys that made me actually stick around to watch the heavyweights and then appreciate people like Nagata and, you know, Maccabee and Kojima and Tenzan and all them guys. Like, it was him for me that, as a younger fan at the time, that made me go, oh, all right. Because it was that time period where they were hard matches to sit through. There was some great stuff, I'm sure, but it was it was hard for me in, in terms of my taste to sit through. So I think he really helped make me make that transition from just appreciating the junior heavyweight stuff to, to, to the main event stuff as well. Is it, could it, I mean, you, could you compare him to someone like Sabu in a lot of ways in that, in the sense I'm aware that, this is going. <laughs> in the sense that I don't think now people give Sabu quite the respect or attention he deserves because he was such a big part of a transitional period. 
that he paved the way for other people who've come along since. And it's without Sabu, we wouldn't have had Rob Van Dam and, and loads of other people. And without Tanahashi, we arguably wouldn't have Okada, Naito, and, and lots of other people there. But then there's a the problem that he doesn't necessarily stack up next to the people he inspired. That that's I think paving the way for Okada and, and Naito is a really good point. Um, but I think he's more again again it's probably a lazy comparison, but he's more like John Cena in the sense that he was the young guy that was so different and fresh at the time where he came into that main event picture. Because you know when Cena came in and feuded with JBL. I felt like JBL was champion forever and it was like, you know, mm-hmm. and Triple H was on the top and blah, blah, blah. So I think in that sense that he, he was a guy that just brought fresh blood and, mm-hmm. and then paved sort of the way for, for everything now. But yeah, I mean, like Tanahashi now, it, it, you know, he is the guy that, you know, isn't going to have the cracking matches consistently. Like, I mean, he wrestled Ibushi today in G1, which was a really good match, but it was very much about, like, for me, Kota Ibushi is the new Tanahashi. Mm. That he is he is the new generation of, of that kind of, you know, dynamic heavyweight. Um, and I think that's, I think, like I say, it was just that time period when I was getting into New Japan that it was Tanahashi that hooked me in. Because this is before Nakamura was doing, doing the Freddie Mercury stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. Number two for me is Jay Lethal. Mmm. Mm. Purely because for someone who is as talented as he is and has run several different chapters of his career, so initial indie Jay Lethal, then TNA doing an impression of Macho Man Jay Lethal to the sort of grisly veteran Jay Lethal that he is now, I just find it bizarre. He's never ended up in WWE. He's been able to do so much stuff and he's mm-hmm. he's he's doing what we, when we talked about Great Muta before and how he adapted himself as he was getting older. I'm sure Jay Lethal's probably still younger than me. But he's adapted as his career's gone on. And 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 I, I just think there's always been someone who's been able to talk. There's always been someone who's been really, really good in the ring. If you think about it, there's not many bad Jay Lethal matches. I can't think of many off the top of my head. No. He's always been solid in the ring. He's always had a good look. He's always been able to speak. He's not, you know, he's not. He's of decent size compared to what most in, most independent wrestlers going into WWE are. And with so many people ending up from TNA or the Indies in NXT, I'm just surprised it's never happened. I, I could have sworn he was going to be there like in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, mm. we were also lucky enough because he's wrestled a couple of times at Future Shock, and both the matches were incredible. Um, both the matches made our guys bigger stars. One against Zach Gibson, which is fantastic. One against Cyanide, mm. which... When you look at a guy like Cyanide, a 400-pounder, you wouldn't necessarily go, well, that's a dream match. Indie, Jay mm-hmm. Lethal, super heavyweight. Fantastic. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's just... Uh, and We nearly had him at a progress yeah. show once. I forget which one it was. And it fell through for some reason. Mm-hmm. But he was he was nearly on a progress show. And it, Do I you think, know what you had in mind for him? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. But it, it would have been great to have seen mm-hmm. him in our ring. Um and uh, you know, unlikely to happen now with him being in Ring of Honor. But it's he's it, just, and he's someone that I've learned to appreciate. Mm. So when I first watched him, and he was he was at the begin at the top of the oh, sorry at the bottom of the card in Ring of Honor, mm. and doing multi man matches and just 
essentially spot, 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 spot. I didn't appreciate it when it was when I think it was when he went to TNA. I was just like, he's really good at doing a macho man impression. Mm. Oh, hang on a minute, he can wrestle as well. Mm. You know, he was a, in a great, um, great tag team with Xavier, Xavier Wood when he was yeah. Consequences Creed as well. It's just. Um, and he's, he's made the most again the Lethal Consequences per- one of the yeah. best tag team names yeah, yeah. made the most out of the silk purse out of a, a, a sound's ear he's been putting some horrible spots and made the most yeah. of them and I think that's the sign of someone who can just go who could, he's always going to get on because if you get given a difficult spot and you get yourself over still then you are winning at wrestling I think mm. that's what surprises me most because he nearly made my list like I said earlier on it was, mm. it was him or Daniels I think what surprises me most was was that TNA run when he was doing the Macho Man stuff? Because it wasn't the character, it was the fact that he had made something that was so eye-rollingly bad, so entertaining, yeah. and then got the job done in the ring. That I was so shocked that at no point WWE went, ooh. So it, it is... To have that much charisma, I mean, it's, yeah. it's one thing being a good wrestler. And this is what I said at the start of this list. If I could, if I just chose people that were brilliant, and people will play this game, yeah. and they'll tweet it to me, and they will pick workhorses. Yeah. That's not necessary. WWE is an entertainment product, yeah. and if you don't like certain things in WWE, then you're you're not appreciating the bigger picture of what WWE is about, which is an entertainment product. Progress, like. We are an indie wrestling company. Mm-hmm. We can do stuff like Keith Lee versus Travis Banks because we want to watch it. Like we do often put matches together where we're just like, "Fuck it, we want to watch that." Um, and we know our fans want to watch it because our audience is very different. WWE's audience is a broad entertainment audience, and that's why someone like Jay Lethal is perfect because he can wrestle for people like us, and he can do the entertainment side. He can be funny. He can he can be entertaining. His promos are good. Everything about him is good. And he could do that side of it for the people who are casual watchers who are just flicking through TV on a Monday night in America and go, oh, I like that guy. He's got catchphrases. But that's the thing with, with again, well, if we compare Future Shock to Progress, is that we are close to WWE in terms that we've got families we could be entertaining. Yeah. So someone like Jay Lethal, who could come and murder it for both of us, yeah. but in a slightly different way, again, infinite potential. Yeah. Who's your number two? My number two. We're back to moustaches. Arguing with the finest moustache wearers in all of wrestling, Magnum TA. Oh, what a good choice. Mm-hmm. You mean NWA's Hulk Hogan? Yep. Until he, until he wrapped his Porsche around a lamppost? Yep. He would have been. Yep. Like, it w- the wrestling in the 80s would have played out so differently if Magnum TA hadn't have crashed his car. Also called Terry, wasn't it? Terry Allen. Yeah, Terry so Allen. All, the, the two most important wrestlers in the 1980s, because both have been called Terry. Terry Allen and Terry Boy. Yeah. The two biggest names. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Terry Taylor. <laughs> Terry um, Taylor? <laughs> Terry Funk. Um, so, Terry Von Eric? Yeah, I mean, everyone should go and watch uh, the cage match with him and, uh, yep. and Tully Blanchard, which oh. is one of the best matches of all time. Um, Mag- Magnum TA was... Because, he, it, it, because of so much of this stuff wasn't filmed, because it wasn't filmed to the level that stuff was now, and he wasn't a big TV star necessarily. But... I think it, we un, people underestimate how. I wish I'd put him on my list now. He's a great choice. Uh, it, it, people, I think, underestimate how how over he was. Yeah, he was. He was the guy. I mean, when you until if NWA, he was their biggest baby face. I know people will say, "Oh, Dusty," because mm. Dusty had been around for a long time. In Dusty was his, winding down yeah, as Magnum yeah, yeah, was yeah, coming. Yeah. Up. In terms of a new, exciting mid eighties baby face, 
Magnum TA was it, and then it took until the end of the 80s when Sting was hitting his hot streak yeah. mm-hmm. to really find someone to replace it. That's how important he was. Yeah. He, because I, I mean, who, who no, I mean, if he'd have been fit and healthy, because so many other people jumped from NWA to WWE in that time, mm-hmm. there's every chance he could have made the switch. It would have. I mean, almost inevitably, he would have ended up in WWF at some point. Mm-hmm. Whether it was during his prime or not, if it, and in fairness, if if he'd have taken off the way he could have, it might have been very very different. He might never have had to go to WWF. It might have been much more even battle. But I mean, he, he, this was a guy when I first started getting the the Bill Apter magazines in the nineties, um, and the first PWI I bought was a was a fifteen years of PWI. Yeah. So they went back over who were all the big names and who were, the, and it, and and I was like, who's who's Magnum TA? He looks a bit like Jake Roberts and a bit like this guy. And I read up a bit more about him, and all the stuff he did with Nikita Koloff. Uh-huh. So he that I mean, you couldn't get a more nineteen eighties wrestling feud than Magnum TA, the the good looking all American guy who looks a bit like Tom Selleck, who. You know, hurrah, dated, etc. You know, ironic people who like it. Ironically, you don't remember the fucking eighties. You weren't there. <laughs> Holy shit! Tom Selleck was god. You know, um, and and he he looked the part. He could do everything in the ring. His finish was incredible. Like his his feud with with Nikita Koloff. What what could be more eighties than Nikita Koloff versus Magnum TA in a best of seven? Series. It was a, it's a TV title, the US title. I can't remember which one, um, but he he was such a huge star. And again, never quite. I mean, that's this is something that will appear in my top two. What could have been if something hadn't happened? Yeah. And yeah, he he would have been a big deal. We but should do a top ten best wrestlers never to win the NWA World Heavyweight Title list because that could be quite fun. Yeah, you're going on that, yeah. You're on that list. Delirium. Yeah, I mean, I had my chance. Um, in Wigan. Who's in your, 2006. Who's your number two? Uh, my number two is a man that's been mentioned already, and it's Mitsuharu Misawa. Um, because I think the thing with me was, it, it's, it's, I agree with all the points you made about maybe not having the crossover appeal. But I think the way that I always saw Misawa was that is I could always see him... And like either like Akiyama or Kobashi as a team. Mm. I think the thing is as well. My point was that I don't think Bret Hart had a ton of charisma. No, no, no. But he was one of the best wrestlers, so it was fine. Yeah. And I think if you're so good, you don't necessarily need all the other stuff. If you're British Bulldog was like I was watching, been watching old episodes of Raw. Mm. British Bulldog was tremendous in the ring, tremendous, and looked great. You ever heard him do an interview? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't great. Um, you know, wish to speak ill of the of the dead or anything like yeah. that. But he just he wasn't great at promos. He never was. He seemed nervous, but it didn't matter because no. he's but, got a tremendous body well, of work. But, in terms but, of but then life. charisma isn't just how you talk. Yeah, um, and he had loads Davey of charisma Bo- just from his See, that's the thing. Davy Boy Smith carried himself. If we're if we're going to play the game, Mitsuharu's power did always look like he was doing a shopping list in his head while he was wrestling. He always had that. Did I leave the stove on? That was just him. Yeah. Um, and 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 people who say I'll, I'll call the Bret Hart thing on charisma, mm. I thought that I always thought it was really underrated on the microphone myself. Um, he had a go- when I talked about the top heel runs, I think him as a heel in nineteen ninety seven, that was great because it was born out of genuine frustration. Yeah. And genuine anger. 
yeah. and genuine, genuine sort of old man bitterness of, mm-hmm. well, the world's changed and it's left me behind and I'm fucking annoyed. And that was why that worked. I think when he was trying to be a fiery baby face, he couldn't quite carry yeah. it off. But it's, as well, I think it's that thing of, well, what, what do you what do you class as success as a successful run in, in, in WWE? Because again, it's that thing of like I think Shinzaki had a successful run in WWE as Hakushi. So he had some great matches with One Two Three Kid and Bret Hart, and relatively remembered fondly. You mm. know, so it's that thing of like I'm not saying that Masao would have slotted in and been headlining Raw in 1990s against Stone Cold Steve Austin as amazing as that would be. It's just that thing of like I would have liked to see. Um, what would happen? Because um, again, like like Tenru turned up in WWF at some point. <laughs> yeah. Was he in a Royal Rumble? He or... wrestled at WrestleMania as well. Yeah, that was it. Against Demolition. Yeah. That was it. It was at Mania. So it's that thing of like I would have been. Re- it's it's my intrigue on this one more than my oh this what is the path you would go down and this is what mm-hmm. he would do. Okay, right. We're up to our number ones. But I didn't realize you had an upstairs. We don't. There's a, there's a flat upstairs, and I believe what they generally do is throw sandbags around. Oh, socially. Yeah. Seems it. It's Shockmaster. Yeah, okay. He's good. trying to come through the uh, I've met his son. That's bizarre. Yeah. just yeah. He's, he works for WWE's live events team. Talk about his son. Huh. He's lovely. Is he called Dingy? Hey! Nice. Still no poisson. Um <laughs> My number one should be of no surprise to anyone who's ever listened to this podcast, because he's my favourite wrestler of all time. Uh, that's Kenta Kabashi. Never heard of him. Um... Uh, now, he's nearly always my favourite wrestler of all time. Every day is slightly different. So, the reasons for having him are as follows. He's had all the best matches ever. That's a pretty good reason. Um, one of the matches I've mentioned, one of my favourite ever matches, is him and Kikuchi against uh, Crawford and Furness. Um, which, you know, Crawford and Furness were a great team. They were in WWE. They didn't have a load of charisma. Um, but in that match, they looked like monsters because Kabashi... And, and Kikuchi make them look like monsters. Mm. Um, tons of great matches with Misawa. Great runs in All Japan. Great runs in Noah. 23 Wrestling Observer five-star matches, which is the second highest of all time. 25 is from Misawa. Um, but the reason I've chosen him is he could do it in an American way as well because he had one of the my favourite matches of all time in 2005 against Samoa Joe and Ring of Honor. Now, I, I, the way I would use Kabashi in WWE because he was quite a big dude for a Japanese wrestler, yeah. the way I would have used him would be as as a, a sort of... not He wouldn't necessarily need to be super heel or anything like that, but just someone who came in and possibly had someone talking for him with, on account of him being Japanese and English not being brilliant, but someone who just came in and killed people. Yeah. Because in the mid-noughties, you could have hired him, you know, at late 30s, early 40s, you could have hired him feasibly... Just imagine him in, in 2004, Around sort of 2003, 2004, 2005 WWE, when they had all the workhorses going. Yeah. Imagine just putting him in and going, uh, can, uh, Mr. Kabashi, do you want to wrestle Kurt Angle? <laughs> Fuck yes. Um, just having him in at that point and having him have great matches, have a mouthpiece so he's got a bit of a persona, in the same way that they give people to Paul Heyman who can't yeah. talk. Yeah. You know, but just have him come in and kill people because. There is no more convincing killer of wrestlers than uh, Kenta Kabashi, I don't think. Um, and it would be weird if I didn't pick my favourite wrestler of all time on this list, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, considering he's never been in WWE. So that's my number one. To no surprise to anyone listening. Um, who's your number one, Chris? I think I, I referenced it about the, the what might have been thing. Mm. So my number one is Bruiser Brody. 
which is a good choice oh. because I want to be able to say Huss quite a lot. Yeah, um, he's he didn't uh, he didn't like being told what to do. No, I mean if if there's one understatement of the year, it's <laughs> Bruiser Brody didn't like being told what to do. No, so he he's he burnt a lot of bridges yes. on his way around, but. To the point where if you're if you're a draw and you're talented, people will forgive you more than if you're dog shit. As yeah. a rule, watch him and Stan Hansen versus the Funks from 1984. Nice. It is. Oh lordy! Oh, it's violence. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, 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 the violence! All of the violence! Oh yeah. Um, but he was he was one of those guys who was utterly believable. Mm. Um, again, larger than life. And so good that they actually did a parody of him in WWF, didn't they? With with Berserker was very much a, yes, yeah. like a, a watered down version of and the Blue Brothers and the Blue Brothers, yeah. and you know it, it's and it, Jimmy Jacobs in Ring of Honor, Hoss. yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and and Kenny Omega. Oh, well, I'm just thinking about curly hair now, really, aren't I? <laughs> it's just, but he's he's hardest man in the world called Frank. Yeah. Frank Butcher was pretty hard, wasn't he? No, mate, get out. Oh, okay. <laughs> what about Frank West? Punisher? Nah, still not as hard as as, as Bruiser Brody. And his brother makes tuna. But it's, it's <laughs> the whole thing with, with Bruiser Brody is he, he... Imagine him coming in, like, in the 80s. He'd have been arguably one of those guys that worked with Hogan on top if he'd have been mm. one to two. But, you know, he's... Well, it's a bit difficult to make him work on top because there was every chance he'd just kill the person he was working with. Yeah, but then it's also... I don't think he'd hit the peak of what he could do. Mm. And I suspect, like, you'll notice that a lot of these nut bars in pro wrestling do mellow a little bit as they get older and they realise that, okay, everyone hates me, no one's paying me anymore, maybe it's time to just, you know, learn to count to ten occasionally. Mm. Um... And it could well have happened for him. That whole never say never. Like that if if you know, if I had a pound for every time someone showed up in WWF or E and people said it never happened, I'd have enough to cover my subscription for a couple of months at least. Yeah. And it wouldn't have surprised me. Obviously, I mean it's a well known story that, that Invader One stabbed him yeah. mm. in Puerto Rico and that's a horrible state of affairs. Mm-hmm. Um if if that hadn't happened, what would the future have held for him? Matthew, round us out with the list. Who is your number one? Who? You've been really hipster-free so far. Uh, my number one is the Great Muta. Ah. Um, to, to Thought you were quiet earlier. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so it's that thing of, of, again, it's about possibilities. And, you know, he, I mean, he held the NWA World Heavyweight title for, what, a couple of days or whatever it was. But he was there, you know, he had um TV title, maybe a TV US title, title for a bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, former IWGP Heavyweight Champion, former Triple Crown Champion. And like you said, he, he had a crossover appeal because for that moment in the NWA and WCW, he was a believable threat. So I wasn't applauding it, it was a fly. Oh, good. I um, trying to turn the lights on. I know, yeah. <laughs> Can't run out of batteries. But yeah, like he was a believable threat. He didn't look out of place in there with Sting and Ric Flair and, and 
everyone else. So for me, it would have been interesting to see if he did stick around because that sort of, you know, that sort of gimmick was always a constant in America. You know, there's the great Kabuki and then the previously mentioned Hakushi and all that sort of, oh, he's a mysterious Japanese man with face paint. So it would have been really interesting because he's a guy that had charisma as well as, you know, in-ring work. I mean, I know there'll probably be people that would be like, oh, well, when he was knocking around with Vampiro, it wasn't exactly, you know, knocking it out of the park. And I was like, well, yeah, fair point. But, you know, yeah. he's, I think he's got, got a stellar body of work. And, like, the point that Chris made was his constant evolution and the fact that he kept on reinventing himself, you know, reminds, you know, so, of, of Sting and yeah. The Undertaker. He's very much the Madonna of... of- Japanese wrestling, isn't he? Where was when was was was, yeah, was, yeah. was it the Ray of Light era or yeah? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Any, I don't know anything about Madonna. Frozen. That's the only. I know <laughs> Madonna's Madonna. Madonna's boyfriend. He was a wrestler, Louis Piccoli. Yeah. I don't know if he actually was a boyfriend. What? Don't I'm not that. saying he wasn't, but I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, the point being that like Muta had the potential to be a big star as well as just being in the mix with it but again like I think we, we've pretty much touched touched on everything um, but I think again for me he's just that guy that, that could have been the one you know the yeah. one Japanese guy that could have been in the main event picture um, but hey you know hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean if, if we think about it if he had instead of going back to Japan gone to WWF in 1990 mm. and worked with the Ultimate Warrior and then worked with the guys who were around there at the time, then transitioned to working with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, and mm. oh, that would have been exciting. Yeah, no, too right. Um, well, good lists, guys. We don't have loads of crossover. I know last, when we did the top ten matches, we had quite a bit of yeah, crossover. Yeah. So, Because uh, there's, there's loads of wrestlers. Yeah, there's loads of matches. But there's more wrestlers than matches. No, there isn't. No, I thought that. Think I about thought this. I thought this. Think list... about what you've just said. Yeah. There's obviously more yeah. matches than this wrestling. list was. You well guys harder. are the best. <laughs> I love our chats. Um, so um, quickly, Matthew, you on Twitter is is M Richards host. Um, sending pictures of bread. He loves that. Yeah. Um, or just pictures of people crying. Um, Christopher Brooker, you are on Twitter. I am. I am at the Brooker man. Yeah. Send me pictures of Jet from Gladiators. She tweeted me the other week, and my life has been downhill ever since. Um, I am at Jim Smallman on, on Twitter. Obviously, listen to everything on the Distraction Pieces Network. Check out jimsmallman.com slash TNJ for live podcast tickets for September the 9th. Uh, and to point people in the general direction of this podcast. And also, progresswrestling.com, demand-progress.com for progress wrestling stuff. The only show you can buy tickets for is in New York. So I hope you've got a boat. Um, uh, We will see you next week with some more wrestling chat. Thanks for listening. Send us your list as well, at Jim Smallman. Use hashtag Tuesday Night Show. All right, ta-ra! VA education benefits allowed me to earn a degree without the type of student debt that so many people face. My service was then. My benefits are now. Get what you earned. Visit choose.va.gov. Not all veterans are eligible for the type or amount of benefits mentioned here. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.